that plan was available. I had read the Bible, but I didn't read it like an owner's manual. But when I started reading this book like an owner's manual, I now realize that God means exactly what He says in this book. He is no respecter of persons, and I don't care if you're red, yellow, black, or white. I don't care if you're tall, short, fat, skinny. It makes no difference with God. It makes absolutely no difference. You have to take His Word and believe His Word. Now, a lot of people that you talk to, and if you're a Christian, the way to find out what I'm talking about is true. In America today, you can stop and talk to the average person. And if you've got one of those, you need to turn it off. I just now thought about mine. <clears throat> but if you're the average person today, and you're coming to a point of death, you ask the average person, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I was confirmed when I was one, or I went to a church three times with my mother and dad, and so I'm okay. I know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to tell you, they're going to be greatly amazed when they close their eyes in death. Uh, if they're going to think something happened. Well, let me tell you, walking as a Christian is a difficult thing. You know, to, to meet the criteria that God requires in His Word is something else. And that's why I've come to realize, that's why I used to be sick. I was walking and obedient to His Word in every way I knew how to walk. But I didn't know what sin was. You know, I really didn't know what sin was. And then again, I really didn't know what faith was. I really didn't understand faith. It took me a long time to get to the point where I understood what faith was. And you could ask me 25 years ago or 30 years ago, do you have faith? Just what I would have said. Sure. Sure, I have faith. But I didn't even know how to spell it 30 years ago. You know, I did not know what faith was. But now then, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that faith is knowing and believing and acting on this magnificent Word of God. You know, so if you've read it and he made a statement, and he tells you to do something. You've got to do it. You have to do it. You know, if God says, be ye holy, for I am holy, what do you think he meant? Well, what is your interpretation of be ye holy? Does that mean living with your girlfriend out of wedlock, you know, on, you know and coming to church with her on Sunday? I'm afraid not. That's not what he meant. Does that mean if you're a man, you can look at all the pretty girls when they come by and you can daydream about them? Does that mean that you can go to the Internet when nobody knows what you're doing and look at the pornography on the Internet? Nobody knows but God. Can you walk holy? Can you walk in obedience to His Word? And can you do that and not sin? Absolutely not. You know, you've got to turn off today. If you want to walk in obedience to God's Word, I'm going to guarantee you've got to turn off the television. You've got to turn off the radio. You've got to turn off magazines. You've got to turn off newspapers. If you read a newspaper on a regular basis, I don't believe you can walk holy before God. I just don't believe it's possible. I know you can't watch television or listen to secular radio and walk holy before God. That's impossible.
If you want to walk in obedience to his word, in fact, I, I think about this woman, uh, Mary, a few years ago that I was asked by her pastor and her associate pastor to come to her home. And she had cancer. And she was a middle-aged woman. And when we got to her apartment and walked in, she had a soap opera on the television. And I sat down and I watched. I didn't watch that. I sat down at the table and in the 15 minutes or so that I tried to minister to her, I heard some foul words on that television. I heard some awesome things. I finally told him, I said, man, I come over here in the name of Jesus Christ to try to get you healed. I said, do you watch that thing? Do you watch that often? Oh, yeah. She said, those are my favorite shows. I watch those every day. I said, well, while I'm here, would you at least turn it off? Okay, she said. So she turned it off. Within the next 10 or 15 minutes, she had used a word of profanity. Another five minutes, she used another one. When she used the second one, I said, Ma'am, I'm having trouble ministering to you as a woman supposedly of God and all those foul words coming out of your mouth. She said, I didn't use any foul words. Her pastor said, Mary, you did. I've heard you twice. You've used two foul words while you were talking to Thurman. What's in her heart? What she's been feeding it. And she don't even know it. So I ministered to her, prayed with her. We left and as we walked outside and got in the car, the pastor, before he, he reached up for the key and he turned around and says, what do you think? What do you think? I said, she'd be dead in two or three weeks. No problem. He said, why? I said, that woman don't have a clue what faith is. That she's got nothing but the world in her heart. I said, there ain't no way. That woman's going to live more than two or three more weeks. He called me just a few days later and said, Mary died today, Thurman. I said, I told you. I said, you can't live in the world and walk in divine health. Now then, every one of us in the church got a choice to make. Where do you want to walk? You know, do you want to be healed? Do you want to know how to walk in divine health? Do you want to, want to know how to walk free of, of the things of the world? I'm telling you, it pays great dividends to walk with God. It pays great dividends. I mean, I mean, wonderful things. I mean, He'll do great things for you. He will heal you. He will do lots of great things for you. But you've got to get the Word in you. And that's, that's the difference. I've had a lot of people say, I want what you got. That's what my wife says all the time. She said, people, everywhere we go, she said, people want what you got. And I said, yes, honey, I want what I got, only I want more of it. And, and, and she said, but you spend so much time with God. I said, that's why I have what I have. It just didn't come easy. You know, and so years ago, I turned off the television. You know, I would come in and I would lock myself up in a room, just me and God. And I would read and study this book for hours and hours and hours. He was there with me. He knew what I was doing. And as I read the Word and learned what He said to do, I realized I had to make a lot of changes in my life. Although I went to church, I didn't ever, I didn't ever smoke, drink, cuss, and do a lot of things a lot of people do. I never, you know, went out and committed adultery in my wife. I didn't think about those kind of things. I, I didn't go there. I never did go there, and I'm grateful that I didn't. But still, in God's sight, I was as a filthy rag in His presence. And you think, wow. Then one day I learned that with everything I can do, with everything I can do. To get God to do wonderful things, I had to step into a world of faith. A world of faith. 
I want to read something to you uh, from Romans uh, chapter 3. I want, I want you to see, of course, how many times that I read this, lots of times. Uh, but verse 21, we'll start with Romans 3, 21. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you for this Saturday afternoon. I thank you for this time we have to teach your word at a healing school. I thank you, Father, that in this month of November of 2006, that you have prepared wonderful things for us, the church, the kingdom of God. Lord, I, I want to thank you and praise you for the privilege to teach your word. I ask you to speak through me today, to ask you to touch every heart that's here. I ask you to bless them in a mighty way. And when they go home today, may they have a deeper understanding of your word as you reveal yourself to them in your word. Lord, may I have a deeper understanding too, because I know that except you interpret or reveal the Word of God to us, we don't get it. So I ask you to reveal your Word to us in a deep way. Give us a deep spiritual understanding of the mighty Word of the living God so we as the church, the believers in Jesus, can go forth and be better believers and we can learn how to walk by faith, to walk by faith, to see you do your great and wonderful things. I praise you and thank you, Lord, for this privilege today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's start with Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. <clears throat> Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith. Now the righteousness of God is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and to all them that believe, for there is no difference by faith, by faith. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How many of us have messed up? All of us. There's not a single one of us. Just like I said a while ago, I was raised up in a great family. I was talking to my sister last night, and we were just worshiping God that we had such a privilege to be raised up with a mother and daddy that loved each other in a great home, a family that took us to church, a family that didn't fight. You know, when we have a family reunion, which we haven't had one in several years since mom and dad both went to be with the Lord, but my sister and I have never, never have my sister and I ever had a disagreement. Is that awesome? I love that girl. You know, and she loves me. She'd do anything for me. We In our family, we don't have disagreements. You know, I mean, we just don't have them. You know, we love each other. We were raised like that. You know, I thought everybody in the world lived like that. You know, when I was young, until I got out there in the world. And then when you go to some other people's family reunion with them or something, and you see the knockdown, drag out, and the screaming, and the cussing, I thought, what? have I got into? What is this? You mean people live like this in the world? Yeah. I realize there's a lot of them out there. But we were talking last night. My sister, uh, she is in beautiful health. She's a beautiful woman. Uh, you know, I'm uh, fixing to be 68 years old. She's nine years older than me, you know. But she's still a beautiful, healthy woman, you know, never had any sickness and disease. 
you know, our families have been pretty healthy. We've had very little, very little problems, uh, at least within our immediate family. And you think about how great it is to have been raised like that. You know, wow. I think about the woman that I married in 1960, and I've lived with her 41 and a half years as my mate until she died in, in a car wreck in 2001. That woman never spent one single day in a hospital in her entire life. Not one. Boy, not many 60-year-old women can say that, is there? Not many. But she walked in obedience to God's Word. She walked in love, and so she never was sick. Never. Not one time. And, of course, I only had to have one test uh, that they did. They kept me overnight to do a test on me one time. But uh, that's the only time, actually, I've had any problems being in a hospital. So, and I didn't even know how to walk by faith. But I'm now learning. So, praise the Lord, in the last 20 years, you know, I'm really learning how to walk by faith. And, of course, the last 20 years is when all these miracles and healings and deliverances and all these wonderful things have happened. And, wow, what fun it becomes, you know, when you get to where you can see God. Do these awesome things that he does. Just like this lady called me today and wanted me to pray for her 32-year-old son that's in the hospital and critically ill. And I told her, I said, I'm going to pray for him. God's going to heal him. You know, I mean, he's going to because I'm going to do what I do by faith. Just think, you know, whenever I spoke to a doctor up in Salt Lake City, Utah, just a few months ago that had fell out of a tree 35 foot up and crushed his back. And he was laying in a bed. It happened on Tuesday. And by Sunday, he's at home all right. They've done CT scans on him. His back is crushed. He's in excruciating pain. And at 10 o'clock on Sunday night, I had the privilege to pray the prayer of faith for this doctor. And I guaranteed him that the king of the universe would do a mighty miracle of healing on him. And the king of the universe instantly, totally, completely healed that doctor's back in just, bam, it was done. I prayed their prayer of faith. The guy was able to get up and run around. Of course, he uh, wanted me and my new wife, Cheryl, but she's not here today. Her, she had a death in her family. Her, one of her uncles uh, passed away. He's 85 years old out in California. And so she flew out there to minister to her family. Now, her family wasn't one of the families like mine. Her family don't know Jesus. She's one of them, was raised up in one of those families that her, her mother and dad was pretty good people, all right, and they loved them to a certain degree, but they were not churchgoers. You know, they were not believers in Jesus. They were, you know, just, I guess you'd say, the average family. You know, but uh, man, you know, you can go into that home and, in fact, won't try to tell somebody about Jesus, and they will tell you they don't want to hear it. I don't believe in that stuff. So you got your work cut out for you if you're in a family like that. You know, so my wife went to California, and that's what she's been doing. In fact, it's amazing that the other day the Lord woke her up and told her, said, your Uncle Daly is going to die shortly. He will not be here by the end of the year. And so she told me, she said, honey, I've got to go to California to tell my Uncle Daly about Jesus. And I said, well, God will provide something. Just give him a few days. Well, within a few days, some of the family called. So we decided to have a family reunion. We're going to have it in Dallas. So all of them showed up and came to Dallas. 
So she went and she told her uncle. She got him off to the side and preached to him, not really preaching, just trying to tell him about Jesus because she loved him. Well, he didn't like Cheryl talking to him, you know. Oh, you've got to talk to me about that stuff. I don't believe that stuff. She said, Uncle Daly, the Lord told me you're going to die shortly and you need to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He didn't believe that either. He didn't believe none of that. So, you know, even her mother told her, you know, the people didn't, they didn't uh, receive you very well preaching to them while they were here. You know, so isn't it amazing? But, you know, we're going to catch some flack as Christians, even in your own family. Did the Lord say, I come to set a mother against her daughter? Did he say that? Sure he did. You know, it's wonderful if you happen to be in a family where all of you believe in Jesus. It really makes life fun. But some of you in this room, i got a feeling, are not in one of those families. Some of you may have been in one of those families, and you, then you may have had a brother or sister marry somebody that wasn't one of those. And now then you've got a problem, you know, because everybody in the world is not like that. But the reason they're not is because we as Christians don't walk where we're supposed to walk. We don't, you know, walk in a demonstration of the Spirit's power. We don't walk in love. And so there appears to be no difference between us and the world. But when you start walking in obedience to God's Word, and He starts showing up, and miracles start happening, you will move some people's heads. Some people will see what God is doing, and it will change some people's life. And I don't know about you, but when I get through with what Jesus did for me on this earth, I don't want to show up in heaven and have no rewards. Do you? I don't want to be a normal Christian when I get to heaven. You know, I want to have some of those cramps. You know, because when well, somebody said, well, good grief, what are you going to do with a crown? Well, I'm going to do exactly what the book of Revelation says. I'm going to lay it at the feet of my Savior and tell him this is my reward that I received because of what you did for me. Now then, I'm not worthy to wear this thing, but you are, and I want to give it to you. Now, I'd hate to think I showed up in heaven after what Jesus done for me, and I didn't have a single thing to give back to him, and I had produced no fruit for the kingdom of God. Wouldn't you? Wow, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to do that. I want to. I want to work diligently for the King while I'm here. I want to study His Word. But He says, "For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God." All of us, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. Now, you have to receive that by faith. What, somebody said, well, I got saved. I said, well, are you sure you got saved? Well, I hope I did. You reckon they had any faith? No, they didn't have no faith. They're hoping. And if you really got saved by faith, you read, somebody read these scriptures to you, they've talked to you about the Word of God, and the revelation came through Jesus Christ and by the blood by the Holy Spirit, He convicted you, and you learned that if you would confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart the Father raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Not maybe. You will be saved. And then the devil comes up to you and says, Oh, you've really not saved. If you had been, you wouldn't have said that bad word you said yesterday. You wouldn't have gotten mad at your wife. You know, if you was really saved, you wouldn't have talked like that. 
You've got to say, you devil of hell. In the name of Jesus, I might have made a mistake, but I repent. The Word of God says, if I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart, Jesus was raised from the dead, I'm saved. And you ain't talking me out of it. I'm born again. And I'm going to get in the Word, and I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do so I don't ever get angry at my wife again. See? See? I mean, you know, every man and every woman, I don't care who you are, how young you are, how old you are, if you're not careful, there'll be a devil that will come in there, and he'll create a little problem between a man and a woman, especially those that are married. You can be having a great day, or your husband might have been having a terrible day. He might have been at work, and you might have had a great day. And he walks in the door and he says, Hi, honey, how are you doing? He said, I've had a terrible day. Ain't nothing went right. And don't say a word to me today. And she said, Whoa. You back up and say, But honey, yeah, I don't want to talk to you. See, she hadn't done nothing. But he's mad at the world when he got home. When that happens, all you can do is just love him. Is that right? Nearly every man has had those kind of days. But nearly every woman's had those kind of days too. You know, there is times in a woman's uh, cycles that I don't care what you do, you know. I mean, one day you come home and then you can take her out to eat and life is fun and everything. And the next day you come in, ain't nothing you can say is good. I mean, you can say a little simple word and she, you're screaming at her and she's upset with you and ain't nothing you can do that makes her happy. Nothing. Now, if you're a woman and you have those kind of days, get over it. Get over it. In the name of Jesus, you can get over it. You don't have to go there. You're allowing the enemy to beat up on you. But by faith, you can overcome those things. I mean, that's just like a, a young lady. I was over ministering to a, a woman at a home here a few years ago. And this young woman had cancer. And she was only like 36 or 37 years old. She was dying. And when I got there and sat down with her mother and dad and all of them, uh, that she had lived up in uh, the northeast in Minneapolis, some, somewhere area, and she got so sick that they had to fly her back, and she was here at home, and uh, somebody asked me to come. So I went down there and sat down, and of course, the mother, I'll never forget the mother, she said, well, uh, I've got to go somewhere, so I'm not going to be able to stay during this. I said, okay, no problem. So I started talking, and she stayed. She said, I've got about 10 minutes I can stay. Well, in that 10 minutes, turned into 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour. and I said, ma'am, I thought you had to go somewhere. She said, I did, until you started talking. But she said, what you're talking about is, I've never heard these kind of things in church. She said, I ain't going nowhere. She said, I'm staying right here. Well, by the time the evening was over, the young woman that was sick said, I wished I had met you 20 years ago. I said, ma'am, it wouldn't have done any good because I didn't know these things 20 years ago. I've only learned them within the last 20 years. But see, she had lived in all kinds of sin. She was a single woman out. She was, you know, having sex with a boy once in a while. She was lying a little once in a while. She was in unforgiveness once in a while. She had no idea as a Christian all these things was bringing the devil into her life to kill her. She had no idea. But in the process of teaching all this, the sister that was there, she said, you know, I never heard this kind of teaching either, but she said, you know, when I was a young woman and I started my cycles, said I had a, a little bit of a cramp. And she said, my mother told me, oh, that's normal, honey. You just have those. And usually if you get a little older, they get worse. I see the mother spoke a curse over her daughter and she didn't even know it. So as she had her cycles and she had a little bit of a cramp 
And as they got worse, she, with her own mouth, began to say, well, I guess as I get older, they'll get worse. And she said they did. So she, she was speaking a curse upon her own body. Her own body was hearing what she was saying, and her body was responding to her spoken words. Well, that night when she heard me teach the Word of God, she repented. And we prayed and came against that demon that was causing that problem. And I saw that woman up to a year at least after that little deal. And she had never had another menstrual cramp. Isn't that amazing what we can do? How we can put up with the nonsense of the world. You know? But we don't have to as Christians. You know? I put up with sickness and disease a long time until I found out that by faith, I can receive Jesus by His written Word. If He said it in this book, if Jesus said, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart the Father raised Him from the dead, did He say you will be saved or you might be saved? He said you will. But that's only if you receive it by faith. Now, if I walk up to you and say, are you saved? Well, I sure do hope so. You're not. You need to really know that if Jesus said it in His Word, you are saved. In other words, if I say, are you a born-again Christian? You say, absolutely. Well, what makes you so sure of that? Well, because it's written in the Word of God. Well, I mean, uh, but that's just an old book. It may be an old book to you, but it's the Word of God to me. And I'm trusting my soul to the God that wrote this book. Well, but you know this book's been translated many times. There's a lot of errors in this book. Anybody ever heard those kind of statements? You know, I remember one day I was trying to minister to a young man, and he was telling me some things his grandmother said. And I said, well, son, that's not right. Uh, he said, well, my grandmother, she was a great Christian. She said that. I said, well, have you ever read the book? Well, he said, but there's lots of errors in that book. He said, I've read it, but there's lots of errors. I reached over and got my Bible, and I said, here, show me one. Well, he said, I don't know where to go. I said, then if you don't know what you're talking about, I suggest you keep your mouth shut. I said, because I'm going to tell you there ain't no flaws in this book. There ain't no flaws in this book. God is behind this book. He's supernatural. And I'm going to guarantee there's not anything written in this book but what He wants it written in this book. He's big enough to watch over His Word, and He's ready to perform His Word. I said, now your problem is, son, you need to get in it. You need to read it. And you need to heed it when he says do something. You better do what he says. If he says don't do something, don't do it. If he says do something, you better do it. I said, if you will, God will change your life. See, today, there's a whole lot of scriptures in this book that you'll never hear preached in church. I mean, you've got to be in a unique church to hear some of them preached. And if you do preach them, or if you do hear it, Sometimes there'll be an error. I had one of the, I heard the other day, I was listening to uh, TBN, or Daystar, I forget which one it was, but one of the Christian stations. And there was a great, big, powerful Baptist preacher on there. And I have the greatest respect for this man. I have listened to him for years. And he preached that Sunday on a set of verses that I've never heard a Baptist preacher preach on. And I thought, this is going to be interesting. And he preached them absolutely incorrectly, according to what he said. You know, I thought, where did he get this? 
how could he possibly have read those scriptures and then turn around and said it means this? When what he said and, and what, what it said and what he said was totally 180 degrees apart. I thought, I don't understand how that can happen. I do not understand how that can happen. But I think that's just like I remember that a Ph.D. one time, he preached on Sunday that there is, and again, I was in a Baptist church, and I was in that church that Sunday, and he said, you know, you will hear things that people will say there's a second experience called the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But he said, that's not true. He said, when you get saved, you get all the Holy Ghost you're ever going to get. There's no such thing as another encounter with the Holy Spirit. And he preached around verses that day that he'd learned in seminary. I thought to myself, I'd never seen a preacher so uneasy trying to preach something in my life that is in error. But that day, that Monday, after I left that church, I drove by that church and I looked up and I said, Lord, I believe that man, that the pastor of that church, loves you with all of his heart. I believe he does. But I said, I believe he's wrong about the Holy Spirit. I said, Lord, I believe there is a second experience called the baptismal power of the Holy Spirit. And I said, Lord, if there really is, of course, I'd been in the Baptist church all my life at that point. I said, if there is, and I believe there is because I had really been studying the book of Acts. I said, Lord, if that really is true, I want that power in my life. And bam, that minute Jesus came into my life and he made a change in my life. And I have never been the same. I started hearing God's voice after that. I started walking in an anointing. I started walking in a supernatural experience with God. I began to see Him do everything from heal the sick to cleanse the lepers to raise the dead. Now, I didn't do that before I got that. So now then, if you don't want the baptismal power of the Holy Spirit, then don't get in the Word and study and ask Him to give it to you because He might just give it to you. And if He did, let me tell you, it's the most wonderful thing ever happened to me. And if you die, there ain't no two ways about it. It is the most wonderful thing going. Now then, I want to make another statement to you. If you don't believe there's such a thing as an infilling power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to have trouble walking in divine help. You have to have that infilling power of the Holy Ghost in you to walk in divine help. Because He is the power source. And He is the one that will keep you healthy and free of sickness and disease. He is the one that's in you that will heal you if you're already sick. He is the one that will set you free. Now then, uh, just this last week, uh, we've had a young lady that's been to the healing school the last two or three times. She's not here today, but she has been the last two or three times. And she called me this week. And she had numerous, about 28 or 30 things wrong with her. And three or four or five of them were incurable. She had toxins in her body, stuff that's impossible to get out. She has a fine doctor from up in the Northeast that cost her a ton of money uh, to use him. And these things, he says, is incurable. Well, she realized that after coming to a two or three healing schools and prayer, she was healed. She just knew she was healed. She felt good, everything. So she called her doctor. She flew him from up in the Northeast down to, to her, here to, and to bring his instruments to check her. And he did, and he came down, and he'd done all, I think it was 30, of the tests. And she called me this week and said, my doctor is hysterical. Every test was perfect in my body. 
I am completely, totally healed. And she said, my doctor from the Northeast says he has got to get in touch with you. He's got to learn what you've learned because things he can't heal, you got healed. I told him all he's got to do is know Jesus. <laughs> all he's got to do is know Jesus. Jesus is a healer. And all he's got to do is learn how to move the king's hand. And there's only one thing that moves the king's hand. You know what that is? Faith. Faith. And you can't walk in faith unless you meet the criteria of the Word of God. Somebody said, well, I'm going to walk in faith. Well, the first place you've got to start is walking in love. Now, that's the difficult one. You've got to walk in love. It's difficult to walk there 24-7. You know, but anytime you step out of that love, you got to repent. you got to repent. you got to get back in that love walk. Now, let's look. For all his sin, then it says, being justified freely by his grace through this redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth in, as a perpetuation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus, where is boasting then? It is excluded. You can't boast about nothing. I don't care what you've done. You cannot boast about nothing. I don't care what kind of gifts God's given you. You can't boast about nothing. You don't never boast that I can do this in the name of Jesus. No, if Jesus hadn't given you this gift, He hadn't called you out to do what He's called you to do, you couldn't do nothing. If He didn't let you take the next breath, you'd be dead the next second. God is in control of everything. So, it says, where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? The law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. There is a law of faith. The law of faith is reading the Word, believing the Word, acting on the Word, confessing the Word. This is what faith is. And this is where so many people miss this. In other words, let's just bring it down to a simple statement today. All of us that here today, you're, most of you, I'm sure, are believers that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Is there anybody here that does not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If you do not know Jesus, well, we would love to lead you to Christ right now. That's the most important thing there is. But if all of you know Jesus, then you had to receive Him by faith in His Word. Now then, if your mother took you to church till you was five, and you was baptized in the church at one, or if you was confirmed when you were two, and you've never been to church since five, and you say, I'm okay, you're lost. You don't know Jesus. You ain't okay. And if you die in that sin, you will bust hell wide open. You know, you can't say, because my mother and dad went to church, I am a believer. You know, I mean, I see people on a regular basis that taking the Lord's name in vain, that would lie still, they'd go out and get drunk three times a week, and they'd have no problem with sitting down at a table drinking a fifth of whiskey, getting wiped out. Get mad at their wife, cuss, you know, lie, steal, cheat, everything in the world. But I'm okay. I'm a believer in God, so when I die, I know God's understanding. I'm going to get to go to heaven to be with Him. No, you are. You are not going to make it. You 
have to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior by faith. And then, you, we, we, I can't see this. So this is where we miss this. Somebody says, well, I'm a believer in Jesus. And another man tells me, I'm a believer in Jesus. Well, now see, as long as both of them is walking, I can't tell the difference. I really can't tell the difference. Now, if I follow them around for a while, and one of them is good to his wife, good to his children, he's working hard, he's reading the Word to them every night at home, he's taking them to church, he's watching the words that comes out of his mouth, wouldn't think about running around on his wife, you know, wouldn't think about beating his kids with a club if they do something wrong. He corrects his children, but he doesn't beat them. They don't go to school with black, busted uh, eyes and uh, busted lips and all that kind of stuff. You know, he's a man that loves his children, disciplines his children, but he does it in love. Good to his wife, provides for his children. His wife, you know, provides a nice home and everything. I would have to guess that man was a Christian. But the guy lived right beside him. He says he's one too, but he's not that nice guy. He don't hesitate to take the Lord's name in vain. You know, he doesn't hesitate to not go to church on Sunday to read the Word of God. I ain't got time for that stuff. Let me turn on my good television programs. I come home in the afternoon, man, I want to watch this or that. Oh, and he may not watch bad stuff. He may only watch football games every day or basketball games or whatever. He may be hung up on sports, you know, and that may be his thing, you know. I mean, Sunday afternoon, I mean, go to church, give me a break. I've got to have, I got to watch this game and this game and this game. And he's got three television sets on on Sunday afternoon, every one of them on a different game. I had a wife, or not a wife, a wife of a man, wasn't my wife, but a woman. And I was ministering to her one day, and we were talking about her husband. And I said, you know, why don't your husband go to church? She said, well, it's football season. I said, you know, so football season, he's hung up on football. She said, if I were to die during football season, he wouldn't know it until the football season was over. I mean, you reckon he's hung up on football? He's hung up on football. She said, on Sunday afternoon, on a Monday night, we have three televisions in the house, and he has every one of them on a different football game. He's hung up on it. That's his God. He has a real problem. Now then, if sickness and disease comes upon that guy, he, he was going to wonder, why me, God? Why am I sick? Well, he's sick because he's not putting God first. He says he's a Christian, but he's not putting God first. Now, if he's really not a Christian at all, he may not come down sick. You know, he might not bother him. But if he is a Christian and he's disobedient, then the sickness and disease will come upon him. But also sickness and disease comes upon those that are not Christians that that don't even profess to be Christians. But the Word of God says He will put that sickness, God will put that sickness and disease upon people. He will chasten them with pain in their body, on their beds, in their bones, and they will waste away. Now, this is another part of God that people don't see. They think, God would never do me like that. You had not read the book. You have not read the book. The thing that even I used to, in some of my old tapes, you might hear me say, God allowed the enemy to do this. And I used to say that, but not anymore. God doesn't allow the devil to do anything. God is in control of the universe. And if you sin, he'll send the devil after you. You only got one you got to please, and that's God. And I can prove it to you in the Scriptures. 
And we probably will hit some of those today. So if you have a problem, you don't really need to start rebuking the enemy to drive him away until you have repented of your sins. Once you've repented of your sins and you got right with God, now you can rebuke the devil and he'll go away. I mean, where I learned this lesson, I really learned this well. One night, one, not night, one Sunday afternoon, Sunday morning, real early, a Baptist preacher called me and said, I'm going to have a problem with a woman in my church and said she's had a full hysterectomy, uh, said she's had been to the doctor many times and she's got serious back uh, pains and cramps and said they thought they would get it resolved by doing a hysterectomy on her, but said they did all this and she's not any better. He said, I really think this problem is spiritual. He said, would you come down after church this afternoon and meet me in Fort Worth at a certain place and I'll pick you up and take you to their house? I said, sure. Well, of course, I've learned now that all sickness and disease starts in the spirit world. All of it. So I didn't know that then. But I, I met him in Fort Worth and he took me over to this family's house. And when we walked into this house, here was a family... That as we walked into the house, here's a husband and uh, four sons and a, a brother-in-law and a sister, and I didn't know none of them. I did know the husband. I'd met him before, but he, I had never met anybody else in the family. When I walked in the house, I said, I've come to minister to the wife. And I said, where is she? And he said, well, she's back in the bedroom. I said, well, we'll go get her. So they went back there, and five or ten minutes later, they came back without her. I said, where is she? They said, she will not come out. I said, well, let's pray. So we prayed. I rebuked the enemy, asked the Father in Jesus' name to bring her out. I said, now go get her. I didn't come over here for nothing. So they went back and they got the woman and she came out. And when she walked through the doorway with her husband on one arm and her sister on the other arm, she had her head down, big heavy black hair hanging down in her face. And she's screaming, I hate you. I am mean. I will hurt you. I know exactly who I'm dealing with. It's the devil. you know. And so they brought her over and set her down in a chair. And I knelt down on my knee in front of her and reached up to touch her hair. When I did, she slapped my hand and she said, Don't you touch me. I mean, I will hurt you. Well, I was still a Southern Baptist deacon at that time. But a normal Southern Baptist deacon would have left right when he first walked in and she screamed. But... Thank goodness I'm not a normal Southern Baptist deacon. So anyway, I know by this time who the devil is, and I know my authority over him. So I told her, I said, young lady, I said, what you need is you need to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And immediately she began to scream, no, I don't want nothing to do with him. And so I said, you devil of hell, come out of her in the name of Jesus. And she said, I'm not coming out. I said, oh, yes, you are, you devil of hell. I said, i got power over you. It's written in Luke 10, 19, and 20. Now come out in the name of Jesus. And he said, I have legal right to be here. I am not coming out. This is coming right out of this woman's mouth. And I thought to myself, this beast, when the Lord told me he's a liar, I said, here he is telling me he's got legal right to be there. I said, he's lying. I said, Lord, why is this devil not coming out? And the Lord spoke to me and said, because I sent him. Well, that's a new revelation to a Baptist deacon. God, the devil's in this woman because you sent him? He said, yes, she has unforgiveness. And I thought, oh, my goodness. 
that scripture in Matthew eighteen twenty one through 35, where it says, If you hold unforgiveness toward anyone, the Lord Himself will send a torturing, tormenting spirit to torment you. I thought, God, you really meant what you said there. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus told you in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 35, and the thing about it in that story, that parable he told there, he goes to great detail that it took me years to get this part. In Matthew 18, 21 through 35, Jesus and Peter were walking along, and Peter said, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how many times do I have to forgive him in a day? Seven times? You know, Jesus said, no, not seven times, but seventy times seven. Now, there must be something extremely important if God requires you to forgive your brother 490 times in one day, you know, if he sins against you. There must be something critical there, don't you think? Why do you think God would make a statement like that? Why is it that important? Somebody said, well, let me tell you, if this guy sins against me once, I'll forgive him. But if he sins against me twice, okay, maybe I'll forgive him. But if he sins against me three times in the same day, I'm just going to punch him out. How many people think like that? (laughs) A bunch. A bunch of us. And I'm talking about Christians. Okay. I mean, some of you, your wife, she says something you don't like, and she says it the second time. And you think to myself, if she says that one more time, I'm going to tell her what I think. And so she says it again, and you blow up. You really didn't meet the criteria of what Jesus said when he says, forgive them 490 times. You know, it's hard, isn't it, Scott? Yeah, but we can do it. We can do it as sons of God. But then you learn the consequences. He said, you must forgive. Because if you don't forgive, I'm going to give you a parable here about a man that owed 10,000 talents, and he couldn't pay it. Now, that's billions of dollars in today's money. He said, this man owed billions of dollars. He couldn't pay it. So, since he couldn't pay it, he was going to sell his wife and his children and him and his lands and his houses and all that he owed to pay the debt. Now, what was going to have to be involved in paying this debt? Or who was going to be involved in this? Everything. The man, his wife, his children, everything was going to become legal property of the devil. Now then, if you are a child of God, and you're a man or a woman, and you've got children, or if you're a man or a woman and you've got a mate, and you hold unforgiveness toward anybody, you've got a problem you need to get rid of immediately. Otherwise, your children may die, your spouse may die, and then you will die because of unforgiveness. See, people don't believe God means what He says in His Word, but He does. He said, now then, this man that owes this huge debt, he came and he worshipped the Lord, and the King James said he bowed down and worshipped Him and said, Lord, if you will please be patient with me, I will pay you all. Now, because he worshipped Him and asked for more time and forgiveness, did the Lord forgive him? Sure he did. He said, okay, no problem. You only owe me a few billion dollars. That's all you owe me, a few billion dollars. Not a few 
dollars, a few billion dollars. So I just, I just forgive the debt. You don't owe me nothing. How would you like to owe a couple of billion and you can't pay it and you go in and tell the man, I don't know how I'm going to pay you. So that's, that's okay. Just because you're a good buddy. No problem. You don't owe me nothing. Just, just enjoy everything you got. That'd be wonderful, wouldn't it, son? Yes, it would be. Well, that's the kind of God you and me serve. But then he expects you and me to do the same thing to our brothers. See, that's where we miss it. We want God to forgive us. But, oh, but this sister here, she did something to me. I'm telling you, I ain't never going to forgive her. I don't. What'd she do to you? Oh, let's see. I forgot now what it was. <laughs> it was that minor. You know, at least she said something one day I didn't like or something. Give me a break. You know, but we do that kind of silly stuff. We hold grudges against people for nothing, and it opens the door to the devil to destroy not only us, but our wives or our spouses and our children and our lands and our houses and our cars and everything we own becomes legal right of the devil. Because that man that owed that debt there in Matthew 18, another man that owed him a few lousy dollars. Now, when you translate it the same, it goes from billions of dollars on the one guy to about $3,000 on the other, other one. So, you know, that would be like today, like uh, I owed you a million and you owed me a dollar. That would be about the two comparison. And so if I were to be forgiven the million, then the Lord says, okay, you forgive her or him for the dollar that they owe you. And I said, no, I ain't going to do it. I'm going to throw them in jail. You know, I'm going to make them pay. This is the story that we read in Matthew 18. The man that was been forgiven the billions, he was forgiven by the Lord, but whenever the man he owed the little debt to, whenever he come to and asked the man to pay him, he said, well, I will, but just give me time. And he said, no, I will not. I will not give you the time. And he threw the little guy in jail till he paid what he owed him. And the Lord says, okay, because I gave, forgave you that huge debt. You should have forgave your brother that little debt. Now, since you didn't forgive him, I'm not going to forgive you, and I'm going to throw you in jail, and I'm going to turn you over to the tormentors. Now, who do you think the tormentors are? That's the devil and his demons. I'm going to turn you over to the tormentors, and you will not get out of jail until you pay me every penny you owe. And then Jesus made a statement to Peter in verse 35. He said, Peter, this is the way my heavenly Father will do each of you if you do not forgive your brothers from your heart. Did he say that? Now, you think God, God would not Turn me. He loves me. I'm somebody special. He would never turn me over to the tormentors to be tormented. Would he? Did he say he would? Oh, if he said it, you believe that, do you? I believe that too. That's why I would never, ever, I don't care what anybody does to me. I don't care what they say to me or do to me. Forget it. I'm not going there in unforgiveness. Because I don't want to be turned over to the devil, do you? It would be bad enough to be turned over to the police department if I'd done something wrong. Because they could put me in jail. But them torturing, tormenting demons, they can make your life miserable. You know, they can put sickness and disease upon you. They can really make your life miserable. They'll cause your car to break down at the most inopportune time. They'll cause you to get in a car wreck. I mean, they do all kinds of things. 
all kinds of things. And it's all because of sin. And so, if you, in fact, we have a lady that comes to this church. When this lady came to this church uh, the first time, she had a son that was uh, about eight years old, I think, at the time. And he was just about ready for a wheelchair. Uh, He had had one surgery on one leg, and the leg was getting worse, and the other leg was beyond surgery, and he was going to be an invalid shortly. And they had uh, two other young boys that was always down with some kind of uh, uh, bronchitis or allergies or something. And when she came and she sat down and started talking to me, I found out she had gross unforgiveness toward her husband. I told her, I said, ma'am, you've got to forgive your husband and start walking in obedience to God's love, and you've got to submit to your husband and obey him. And she said, I will never do that. She said, it will be over his dead body that I submit to him. I said, ma'am, you need to go home and talk to God about this. Because I said, you know, it's devastating what's already happened in your life. I said, if you don't change, who knows what's going to happen to you as well as your children. So on the way home, she's talking to God. She said, God, this guy's crazy. He's crazy. You know. And the Lord told her. She, he spoke to her and told her, said, no, he's not crazy. He's telling you the truth. And he said, he told her, said, you must obey your husband. She said, never. She said, God, after what he'd done to me, she said, I will never obey him. She said, it'll be over his dead body before I obey him. And the Lord spoke to her and said, no, it'll be over your children's dead bodies. See, she'd already killed three and didn't know it. She'd had three miscarriages. She'd already killed three children and didn't know it. That's what was caused the problem. So when God spoke to her and told her that, she came back and sat down and said, I guess I need to talk with you. And she said, God said what you're telling me is the truth. And so I sat down and showed her all these things. She repented, went home and walked in to her husband and told him he was already in bed that night. And he was ready for a divorce. He had had nine years. He was ready to leave. And she walked in and said, we've got to talk. And he thought, okay, here it comes. I'm ready too. I am ever ready. She said, I repent. I ask you to forgive me, and I will obey you. And he fell out of the bed crying. It made such an impact on him that reconciled that marriage. Today they are walking in divine health. Probably three years later, the nine-year-old, eight to nine-year-old boy that was going to be an invalid is now playing football. You know, everybody in their family is healed. But that family's walking in love. And she has written a book. In fact, James Robertson uh, had her and her husband on television. They got to tell about five minutes of this story. They didn't get to tell near enough of it for you to get the idea. But their story is so awesome. I told her, I said, one day, I watched it on uh, Daystar when they told it. But I told her, I said, you know what, we're going to do one day. I'm going to either take you two with me out to GLC and we're going to spend a whole half hour on your story. And then we want the world to see it. Because I said, the world needs to know, the church needs to know. The world ain't going to believe it, but I said, the church needs to know. When we walk in unforgiveness, it brings sickness and disease not only to us, but to our children. Now see, when I told her, I said, your babies are sick because of your sin. She said, you are crazy. I said, no, honey, I'm not crazy. I know what I'm talking about. I've read this book in detail. And I said, if you will do what I tell you to do from this book, I guarantee God will forgive you. He'll reconcile your marriage, and he'll heal your children. 
And she did, and he did. And when people say, you can't guarantee God will do anything, I guarantee I can guarantee God. He'll do exactly what he said in this book. You, you can stand on this, or you can take this book to the bank. This book works, and it works every time. The God that wrote this book is in this book, and he is alive and well today. You know, so I've, I've done this for many people that were incurable. And I've told them what they needed to do, and these people have gotten uh, healed. I mean, there's hundreds of them, thousands of them now. And it, it's something unique, you know, that when you present a case to someone, you know, if you're sinning, you're going to be sick. Now, you may sin once or twice or three times, and God is merciful and kind. And he, he's a whole lot like... Uh, uh, a father, you know, you love your children beyond your wildest dreams. You tell them, now, son, don't do this, and they go do it. Most of the time, you don't run out there and just grab them up by the neck and beat them severely, do you? You know, you sit down and talk with your children and say, son, I told you not to do that. What did you not understand about that? You lovingly talk with them. And if later they do it again, you know, now, son... You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not let you drive the car for a week because of this. You know, I'm going to, you know, we're going to, we got to, son, you got to stop doing this. You know, I mean, this is not right. And five or six times, later one day, he said, well, dad's not going to do anything. He just said, son, if you do this one more time, I'm going to have to get the board a hold of your backside. Nah, he said, I don't believe that. So he goes and does it one more time. When he comes in that evening and you find out what he done, you say, son, come in here. Oh, okay, you're going to talk to me again? No, son, I told you this time we're going to get the board out. This time you knew the truth, so I'm going to beat you with many stripes. And you wear out his backside, and when you get through, he can't sit down. You know there's a scripture written in where the Word of God says, if you know to do something and you don't do it, you will be beaten with many stripes? You know that's written in God's Word? He said, if you don't know and do it anyway, you will be beaten with few stripes. Somebody said, God wouldn't do that to me. Oh, yes, He will. There's a difference in the way He does it. He doesn't get the board out usually and hit you like we do physically with a board. But He will turn a demon loose on you. And that demon, He will torment you. And He will make your life miserable. I mean, He will make everything that happens in your life miserable. So the first thing we as Christians need to get a hold of, if we start having difficulty with sickness and disease or all kinds of things start happening to our children or all kinds of things, we need to stop and back up and analyze our life. What have I done wrong? I've done something wrong. I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but Lord, I ask you to reveal it to me so you can get right with God. Now, I'm going to tell you something that most people don't even believe is a sin. How would you like to say if I told you that I guarantee you Jesus will heal you every time? What would you say to that? Would you say, uh, that's true? Or what if you said, well, I don't believe that? You know how many people I make that statement to that say, I, I don't believe that? You know, right there, you just sinned because the Word of God says He will. And if you didn't believe it, do you know that's sin? Now then, do you know if God told you to study His Word, to show yourself approved unto Him, that doesn't mean read the Bible. 
It means study it. Now, he didn't say read it. I, there's nowhere in the Word I find where he says read my Word. I don't, if it's in there, I don't know it. It may be. But I can tell you, uh, in 2 Timothy 2.15, he says study my Word to show yourself approved unto God. Being able to rightly divide the Word of truth. Now then, how many of us study His Word? If you don't study His Word, if you just sit down and read it once in a while, then technically speaking, you are breaking this spiritual law and you're sinning against God. Because He told you to study His Word. Study. If you're not doing that, then you're breaking His rules of faith. So you and I, as sons and daughters of God, we need to sit down and spend time with the King. Now, you don't have to spend... I mean, last night, I mean, of course, my wife's out of town, so yesterday afternoon, I sat down with the Word of God, and I read it, and I played it. I mean, I've got it on MP3, so I can read it and listen to it at the same time. So now I've got it two ways coming in, ears and eyes. I went through the entire book of Psalms, all 150 of them. And you know, you know which is the longest psalm in the whole Bible? 119. That baby is long, isn't it? It's long. But we went through all of that, and then it was getting pretty late. So I thought, well, hmm, I think I'll listen to the book of Romans, too. So I listened to the entire book of Romans. And by this time, it was about 1.30. And I thought, well, I think it's a good time to go in and take a shower and go to bed. And uh, that way, I'll spend a little time with the Lord, and then I'll wake up in the morning about... 8, 8.30, whatever, and I can get up and I'll have time to do everything I want to do today. And I can come and, you know, teach a healing school today. So, whenever you get into the Word, you know, you're meditating on the Word, you're going along, you're listening to the Word, you're reading the Word, and then all of a sudden you click to stop everything, you read a certain set of Scriptures two or three or four times. You say, Lord, I wonder, where has that been? Why did it take me so many times to pick up on that one? You know, but when you get into Word like it, He'll do that for you. He will reveal these kind of things to you. Now, it would have been a whole lot easier you know, if I had been a, like my son, for instance. My son, he loves sports. And it's, it's a whole lot easier for him to turn on the television and watch sports than it is to get into Word. But I will say, he gets in the Word a whole lot. He does know the importance of studying God's Word. He does not cut God short on his Bible study time. Although he's hung up on the sports, you know, that's okay. You know, he still puts God first, and I'm grateful for that. But he will have to do that if he wants to walk in divine health. He'll have to do that. You've got to put God first. So whenever... We, when we come back and we find out, just like this woman, I was telling you about a while ago, the woman that was, had the demon, and when God told me that he put this demon in her, and I had all those scriptures in Matthew 18, 21 through 35, come to flooding into my mind, I thought, God, you said that if we don't forgive, we will be turned over by you to a demon. And that demon, now he's in there, and he's not lying to me. He has legal right to be in there. That's why I can't cast him out. So I asked the woman, I said, ma'am, who do you have unforgiveness toward? Of course, her 
second husband said, he said, oh, that's real easy. It's their first husband. I know. He said, he's got, she's got a grudge against him. He said, see that second boy right there? I said, yes. He said, when that second boy was born, said, he ran off and left her, and he left her holding the bag, and she has hated him with a passion ever since. I said, man, you got to forgive him. She said, no, I'll never forgive him for what he did. I said, man, he's ruined your whole life up to now. And I said, you know, here you've had all these surgeries and everything else, and nothing's helped. I said, you either forgive him or you ain't never going to get well. I said, you've got a demon living inside you that I cannot cast out until you repent. I said, God just told me you had a demon in there, and he sent him to torment you. And I said, the word confirms what he said, that he said it. So I said, I know that was God. So I told her, I said, maybe you've got to forgive him. So I said, just say, it's an act of my will. I, and I called her name, I said, I forgive so-and-so from my heart in the name of Jesus. I finally drug that out of her. She finally forgave him. And the minute she got that out of her mouth, I said, now you devil of hell. You've heard this woman repent of her sin. I said, in the name of Jesus, you've got to leave. And damn, just like that. He didn't even argue with me. He just left. I said, now, ma'am, what you need is Jesus. Now, a few minutes ago when I said, ma'am, what you need, Jesus? No, I don't want nothing to do with Him. Now, see, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4 says, if there's any lost on this earth, they're lost because the God of this world, which is Satan, has blinded their mind to the truth of the Word of God. So, see, the devil was in there. He was blinding her mind. So, she didn't know. But the minute that she repented and I kicked him out, I said, now then, what you need is Jesus. And the woman that was ready to slap me and said, no, I don't want nothing to do with him. She said, yes, yes, I want to be saved. What a change. What a change the minute you kiss, kick, kick a demon out. Now then, why could I not kick a demon out the first time? I had the same amount of faith both times. But the first time, he was there because God had sent him because of her sin. Now, once she repented, I kicked him out. He left immediately. And then I got her saved. I prayed for her, and she received Jesus as her Savior. And then I laid hands on her and asked the Lord to be merciful to her and forgive her and heal her. And he did. And the woman's pain left and everything. And that day the woman got delivered of the demon. She got saved and healed, all because she met God's criteria. Now, see, that's what makes life fun. That's when serving God is fun. You know, whenever I left there that day with that Baptist preacher, on the way out to the car, as the door shut, he walked up beside me and he said, I'd give anything I'd have if I could do that over with a video camera. He said, you were so gentle to that woman and you were so rough on that devil. He said, you knew exactly who you were talking about every time. He said, I've been a preacher a long time. I went to seminary here in the Dallas area, and I graduated five years in a seminary. And he said, I went to a Baptist college, too, for four years. And he said, I never saw what I saw here in this home today. He said, this will change my life forever. He said, if I only had a video camera and I could have recorded what I saw. Well, let me tell you, I'm going to tell you, when you learn how the kingdom works, then you can get people set free and healed and delivered. But you know, when you learn that when we got a sin in our life, so you get out of sorts with your wife or your wife gets out of sorts with you. I think about this gentleman. One day I was teaching a Sunday afternoon service and a guy sitting back there about where this gentleman is in a blue shirt. 
he took, raised his hand. I said, yes, sir. He said, I got a testimony. Can I give it? I said, yes, sir. So he come up here and he said, you see that woman sitting right there outside where I was sitting? I said, yes, sir. He said, I've been married to that woman 50 years. He said, last week me and her got into a serious disagreement. Now, what a shame. After 50 years, I got into a serious disagreement. He said, I thought he said, the next morning when I woke up, I had a pain in my back. He said, I was hurting so bad I couldn't stand it. And then he said, I thought about what you said. I have power over this as a demon. So he said, you devil of hell, you spirit of pain, come out of me in Jesus' name. He said, when I did that thing, just... He, oh, I said, oh, 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 oh. He said, it hurts worse than it did. And then he said, I thought about what you said. Repent first. So see... Whenever he said, I command you, devil, to come out of me, the Lord said, you demon of hell, put the hurt on him. He has not forgiven his wife yet. And so that demon just said, yes, Lord, and he squeezed down a little harder. I mean, he really got his attention. So he goes in and finds his wife and said, honey, will you forgive me for what I did to you last night? She said, yes, I forgive you. He said, okay, good. He said, now, Lord, I ask you to forgive me for getting out of love with my wife because you did tell me to love my wife. And if I didn't, my prayers would be hindered. So he said, Lord, I'm getting the idea. He said, Lord, I'm getting the idea. He said, now then, Lord, I have repented. I've asked you to forgive me. I've asked my wife to forgive me. And I know it's done. So he said, now, you devil of pain, you've got to leave in the name of Jesus. He said, bam, just like that, it was gone. I was healed. But just think, the first time he said, you devil will hell come out of me, I mean, the pain intensified. Why? Because he had not repented. The devil had legal right to be there. When you learn these principles in God's Word, just think, if Daddy, if you told Daddy, your earthly Daddy, that, and he told you to do something, and you told him you would do it, and you lied to him, and you were a young man, he might get a switch to hold of you, reckon? Reckon? Well, see, our Heavenly Father will do the same thing to us in the spirit world. He will do the same exact thing. Now, God was right there. He's the one sent that demon. Whenever that man got out of sorts with his wife, the Lord sent a demon. I can only see it now. Think, now, that son of mine, he's 70 years old. He's walked with me, and he knows my truth. And so I ain't putting up with his nonsense. I'm sending a demon to torment him. When he wakes up in the morning, I told him not to go to bed angry, that he'd give place to the devil. And so now then, he's going to wake up with a pain in his back in the morning. But see, he had been here a couple of times, or a few times, he had heard me teach the Word, and so he knew that was a demon, so he thought he could cast that demon out. But he can't until he gets his sins repented of. See, so when we think... We have power over demons. We have power over them when we are walking in obedience to God's Word. But when you're walking in sin, forget it. You can't cast them out. I've learned that the hard way. You know, so don't go there. You know, walk in love. Walk in love, then you can cast them out. But by the law of faith, Everything is done by the law of faith. Now then, let me ask you this question. According to 2 Corinthians 5, if it says that the 
first of all, let me let me go another place before I go to Second Corinthians five. Let me go to James five, and let's go to verse sixteen, and it says, "The prayer of a righteous man availeth much." Do you know that scripture? James five sixteen, the prayer of a righteous person or a righteous man availeth much. Then obviously we need some righteous people in the church, don't we? Now then, let me ask you this question. I want you to hold up your hand. How many of you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're righteous before God? Praise the King. Okay, if you're hesitating to hold up your hand, you need some more training. Now, used to I'd think, well, I'm, I'm not righteous. But that's when I didn't ever see anything happen either. I could not pray a prayer of faith. But then when I got a hold of 2 Corinthians 5, I want you to go to 2 Corinthians 5, and I want you to see what happens here and how you get to be righteous. 2 Corinthians 5, and I think it's verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. I believe where that's at. For he has made him to be sin. It's talking about Jesus. For the Father has made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, are you in him? You're a believer in Jesus? Okay, if you're a believer in Jesus, then you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Is that awesome? Now then, if you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ, then when you step into the world of faith, I know I'm righteous, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus did. Now, was He perfect? Yes, He was perfect. If Jesus was perfect and He's made you the righteousness of God in Him, then by faith, when you walk in faith, and the only way you can walk in faith is when you're walking in love. When you're walking in the God kind of love, when you're walking in the God kind of love, then you can walk in faith and the king will hear your prayer and he will answer every time when you go in by faith. Now, you're walking in love. Now, what if the devil gets you out of love for a little while? Well, let's stop back to 1 Corinthians 13 and let's see where you've got to walk. 1 Corinthians 13, this is where you have to walk if you want to see God answer every time. Now, I'm going to tell you this is a pretty tough place to walk. That's why sometimes I don't get my prayers answered. You know? So if you think, wow, let me tell you, there's hope for all of us. But sometimes I get to walk in it. And when I do walk in it, when I pray the prayer of faith, we get to see God do awesome things. When I am walking in love 100%, totally, completely, I can step into a world of faith. And, of course, if I ever was put to the test, you know, it was whenever my wife, my first wife, and my daughter got killed in that car wreck five years ago, uh, October the 13th of 2001. I mean, when I heard that happened, I immediately, I said, Lord, if I've committed any kind of sin, I mean anything. If I've done anything wrong, I repent. I'm going to step into a love walk. I know what's available. If I can walk into God kind of love, I know I can go to that hospital 
And they tell me the two little girls are critical, critical, critical condition. But I know, God, I can take your word and I know your promises. I know I can quote those promises. And I know I can believe you to raise those two girls up and do the most awesome miracles that ever has been happened, that's ever happened in my life. And I did. I went over there and I walked in that love. I mean, I never got out of sorts with nobody. I don't care what anybody told me. I don't care how anybody come against me. I walked in the God kind of love. 24-7, night and day. And I quoted His promises. And I got to see our Lord raise Kelly Ringstaff. I mean, from a tore-up head, crushed pelvics. I mean, if she lives, she's going to have brain damage. She's going to be two and a half to three months before she can even stand with a walker. And I quoted the Word of God. And I got to see that little girl come out of ICU in one week and walking with a walker in one more week. And in three more days, I saw her back in school running and playing like nothing ever happened. Now, that's what's available to us. That's available to every Christian. Every one of us, that's available to you. I mean, the doctors were awestruck. But, and then, of course, my own granddaughter, you know, she was far worse. I mean, you know, her brain stem was severed. Her eyes were jerked out of her brain. You know, I mean, her face tore all the pieces. All the bones broke all around her eyes. Face just lacerated. Face was twice its size. Lungs crushed, right knee crushed, left leg broken in two places. And I stood on one magnificent promise at the beginning. John fifteen seven. If. Now it has an if in it. If. John fifteen seven. If. If my words remain in you. And if you remain in me, then you can ask me anything you want to. Anything you want to. That's a pretty awesome statement from the king, isn't it, young lady? I mean, you can ask the king. You can ask me for anything you want, but I may not be able to meet that. I might be able to do a few little things for you, but Jesus has no limitations, does he? No. He has no limitations. And I stood on his word, walking in love, walking in faith. And I got to see God put my granddaughter's face back together in two weeks without a scar. I got to see him put all the bones back together in her forehead. I got to see him put her brain stem back together. I got to see him put her eyes back. I got to see him fix the flapper valve in her throat. I got to watch him fix her right crushed knee with no surgeries, fix that two broken place on her left leg without a surgery, and today she runs like a little deer. She's eight years old and running and playing in a beautiful little girl just sharp as a tack. Does God do good work? Can He do the impossible work? Yes, He can. But what is required? Why can't I do that every time? Well, I'm going to tell you why I can't do it every time. The answer is right here in 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to show you what we can do if His words remain in us and we're obedient to this word. This is why the enemy comes against us so many ways. Verse 4, 1 Corinthians 13. Love suffers long. Now then, that don't mean... Ten seconds. Somebody says something you don't like, you think, they better not say that a second time. If they do, I'm going to get them. No, 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 no. That's not love suffering long. The first ten or twenty times they say it, you don't even get a ruffled feather. You just stay calm. This is where you find out. Love suffers long and is kind to go with it. 
is love, suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love is, does not vaunt itself up. Love is not puffed up. Love does not behave itself unseemly. Love seeketh not her own. Love is not easily provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love rejoices not in iniquity, but love rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love only fails once in a while. What did it say? Love never fails, right? If you're having a problem with one of your children, if you're having a problem with your spouse, I'm going to tell you right here on the front row is a great example. My associate pastor and his wife, she learned how to walk in a God kind of love. And he saw what she had, and it changed his life forever. That's what won him over. I mean, a few years ago, here they were, ready for a divorce and everything else. They didn't think they were going to make it. And she learned how to walk in a God kind of love. And she started walking in a God kind of love. Even in his wickedness. You know, she wanted to reach out and grab him by the neck and punch him out. What she wanted to do in the flesh. <laughs> That's what the flesh would want to do. But she learned how to walk in that God kind of love. And she started walking that God kind of love. And he saw that God kind of love. And he said, whatever you got, I want it. And he got it. And now then, they're the loveliest, happiest couple you can imagine. You know, they walk in such love with each other. I mean, I will have to say, I don't know a woman... I guess I don't know one anywhere that walks as gentle in the God kind of love as Cheryl does. I mean, she's really there. I mean, you can't upset her. I mean, I don't. I mean, I believe I could walk up to her and just really be mean to her. She well, I mean, okay, let's think about this. She would. She wouldn't even get upset with me. She'd be kind and gentle. She's the loveliest, sweetest little thing. You can't only make her bad, can you, Ty? You can't. Praise God. Hey, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. That's right. But see, she's learned how to master the God kind of love. As she has learned how to master that God kind of love, God has put gifts upon her that are out of this world. I mean, out of this world. You know, my wife's learning how to get there, too. She's learning, and God is putting some of those same gifts on her. This, the, the wife that's Cheryl. My wife's name is Cheryl also. God has sent me another wife now then in these last days. And she's learning how to walk into God's kind of love. She's learning all the time. And, and of course, Cheryl's a great uh, uh, example, I guess you should say, for her. Because she's seeing this. And, of course, my wife has so changed uh, since we've come together as man and wife. Now then, she is able to take the Word and go sit down with her family. In fact, a few months after we got married, she went to a family reunion up in the north. When she came back from being married to me for a while and coming to our church and got healed a couple of years before and listening and hearing the Word of God and then being married to me and seeing what faith is, she went to that family reunion. She came back and said, Honey, everybody in my family is lost. 
Every one of them. She said, only a few years ago, I could go up there and sit down and I could talk with them. You know, I could eat with them. I could drink with them. Uh, she said, I didn't see anything wrong with what they did. But she said, now, everything they do is wrong. Everything is wrong. What happens when you get the standard of the Word of God? In fact, you know what? My wife Cheryl told me a few months after we got married, we were going down to East Texas to preach, driving down the road. She looked over at me and she said, Honey, I thought I had faith till I married you. And she said, Now, if the rapture were to occur tonight, I'm not sure I would even go. I don't feel like I would go. I said, I'm sure glad we don't go by feeling. Because I said, if you feel like something, that's not faith. You don't feel it. In fact, talking about faith, I want you to I want you to turn as we talk we saw what love is and what we can do. I want you to turn if you walk in that God kind of love, when you're walking in it, I want you to turn to Mark eleven and I want to show you what you can do as a child of God. If you walk in love. Now if you don't walk in love, you're going to have trouble getting healed. But if you walk in love, then you can take this scripture right here and this scripture will heal you. I don't care what's wrong with you. This Scripture, if you believe this by faith when you walk into God kind of love under the New Covenant, this Scripture will set you free. But you've got to see and you've got to walk where Jesus tells you. Now look what He says we can do. And Jesus answering, in verse 22, Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. Or the God kind of faith. That's the first thing you've got to do is you've got to have the God kind of faith. How are you going to develop the God kind of faith? Number one, you've got to walk in love. If you're walking into God kind of love, and then if you get in the Word and you read these promises, these promises, as you read them over and over and over, faith comes by hearing, not one time. Somebody says, well, I read the Bible once. Forget it. You know, forget it. I've read some parts of it. I've read the whole Bible. Don't tell them how many times. I've read parts of the New Testament hundreds and hundreds of times and some scriptures and I, t- I may take First and Second Corinthians put them in my CD player and for two weeks that's all I listen to every time I get in that car listen to First and Second Corinthians next week I may listen to Galatians I may listen to it 50 times in one week hey that's the way you've got to get the word in you so Jesus look what he says in verse 23 if you have the God kind of faith for verily I say unto you now, you can do this if you walk in God's love. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say. Are you a whosoever? Huh? You, you really are. You're a whosoever. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. Let me tell you what. If you want to know what doubt is, all you've got to do is start to do something in faith. And that devil, he will put his hand on your shoulder and say, you old worthless critter, you. You remember when you sinned here? or that? Oh, He'll call everything you ever done to your remembrance. And he'll say, you know now, a holy God would never do nothing for an old worthless critter like you. I used to believe him when he told me that. But I got to where I don't believe him no more. I never got anything done back there either. But see, when that doubt, that's what he's trying to make you think. Oh, you're not worthy. Oh, you sinned back yonder. Remember. And you might have sinned yesterday. And if you did, the devil still remembers it. 
So you've got to get over that. You've got to say, well, I repented and that's under the blood. So now I'm back in faith and love. But look what he says. You say unto the mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea. And if you shall not doubt in your heart, but shall believe that those things which you say shall come to pass, you shall have a few things you say. What did he say? Oh, I mean, surely that's not true. Surely you can't have whatever you say. Is that what he said? Well, then why do, why do we not use that? Lack of faith, that's right, that doubt. Now, right after Cheryl and I got married, we went off. Some of the things that brought her into this thinking she didn't have faith, we went out of town for a couple of weeks. We'd come in after a couple of weeks, and we'd come to the refrigerator, and that morning we were going to have a little breakfast, and I reached in and we getting some eggs and bacon and stuff we had, and I'm going to fix them, and, and she reaches over and gets the jug of milk. And she looks at the milk, she takes it up, pulls the lid off, starts to pour it in the sink. I said, honey, what are you doing? I said, we only got that little half a gallon of milk. She said, honey, it's three weeks old. It's three weeks past the deadline. I said, but we haven't put God to the test. We were not here, so we couldn't drink it. Now, if I'd have been here and I didn't drink it, then I can't do this. But I have not been here, see. I have not put Him to the test. I've been out of town. I said, the, the milk is good. Now, what did Jesus say I could have? What, what, I can have whatever I say. I said, that milk is good. I guarantee that milk is sweet and perfect. There's nothing wrong with that milk. She said, honey, it's three weeks old. I said, pour me a glass. I pour it out and she starts pouring and as she pours it, she said, well, at least it's not coming out in lumps. I'm going to tell you, she ain't got no faith. That's for sure. <laughs> see? Because see, where's she living? In the flesh. I mean, if you're living in the flesh, three-week-old milk, young lady, it's usually, you know, even if it's been in the refrigerator, three weeks past the use date, it usually ain't no good, is it? You're smart enough to know that, right? So, she was smart enough to know that too. So, it can't be good. It can't be good. But I tell her, it is good. And she pours me a glass full. And she said, well, it's not coming out in lumps. And so, I start to my mouth. She said, aren't you at least going to smell it before you drink it? Now, what if I smell it before I drink it? I, it's just going to turn into clapper. That's what it's going to do. Because that's doubt. i got to believe with no doubt. If I believe, I'm not going to do nothing but just step, take it over and take a drink. It's good. That's real faith. I pulled that milk over. I took a drink and I said, honey, it's perfect. I said, here, take a drink. And I put it up to her mouth and she says... I see, this ain't nothing she's doing. She's still not walking in faith. But she was learning. We all have to learn. I mean, most of you ladies out here would have been right there with her. You know, you would have done the same. A few years ago, I would have done the same thing too. But now I'm learning how to walk in faith. I knew I could speak to that milk, and I knew God would make that milk good because I was not there to put him to the test. And so... I take a drink, take a drink of it, and it was fine. And I put it up to her nose. She sniffed it, and after she said, "Well, it smells okay," I said, "Of course, it's good." And so she took a drink of it. She said, "Well, it is good." I said, "Of course, it's good." Now, why was that milk good? Milk that's three weeks old is it normally good? No. What made that milk good? The word of God spoken by faith made that milk good. I mean, did Jesus 
feed the multitude of the few hand little fish? You know, did he feed thousands of people with a couple of fish and a couple of pieces of bread? How did he do that? By faith. He did it by faith. How do you and me do things? By faith. See, when we step into that real world of faith, now let me tell you, the world of faith that I lived in most of my life was called sense knowledge faith. Sense knowledge faith looks like, smells like, and feels like real faith, but it don't never work. It's I have to see it first. And it's not faith. I have to see it first. I read the promise and I say, you know, God said this. Now I'm going to speak to that milk and it's going to be okay, but pour me a glass and let me sniff it to make sure it's okay. And that's sense knowledge faith, and that faith will not work. That faith will not heal you. Somebody says, but I went down there and I heard the Word of God taught all Saturday afternoon. He prayed for me, and I went out and I still heard just as much as I did when I left. So I guess God didn't hear His prayer for me. What kind of faith did you have? You didn't have none. You didn't have any. When you walked out that door, if we stood on that promise right there, and I stood and said, in the name of Jesus, you're healed, what is your position, what is your job to do now? To believe that right there. I don't care what kind of symptoms. I don't care what's left. You walk out that door and say, praise God. The Word of God says I'm healed. It says I can have whatever I say with my mouth. If I believe in my heart, Lord, I believe in my heart. When He prayed for me, I am healed. And so, praise God, I'm healed. And it may take a day, it may take a week, but your confession, so you wake up the next morning, you've got the worst symptoms you ever had. You said, oh, praise God. Lord, I want to thank you that the devil's attacking harder, so I know I'm healed. It's written in your word. I repented of every sin. Praise God, I'm healed. Now, sick people, they stay in bed, but well, people, they get up and go do something. So I'm going to go do something in the name of Jesus. And you get up and you get out of that bed and your pains all leave. And by the end of the day, or maybe it takes you a week. Maybe it takes you a week, but you're totally, completely healed in a week or two. And sometimes it takes longer than that. The longest time of praying for anyone I've ever had was Dave Rosenfeld's testimony. Now, if you haven't seen his the CD that we made at a healing school a while back, it's called Sickness is Satanic Oppression. And the first hour of that, Dave gives his testimony because when Dave came to me, he had an incurable disease that nothing could cure. Nothing. An incurable disease. I told him, if you will do what I tell you, I guarantee the king of the universe will heal you. And, of course, Dave, he backed off and first said, Now, wait a minute, Simon. You can't guarantee God will do nothing. Oh, yes, I can guarantee God will do something. God will do exactly what he said in this book. He cannot deviate from this book. He can't do one thing for you and another for you. And another for you. He's got to do the same thing if we do it His way. Because He has bound and limited Himself by His written Word. And when you find that out, hey, you can trust God. You can trust Him. Now, when you find that out, you find out He said, don't go sin or I'll send a demon after you. You find out He don't miss that either. You know, so you've stopped singing, I guarantee. 
you know, you don't want to be sick and you don't want to be afflicted. You don't want to be beaten with many stripes. You don't, I don't know about you, but I don't even want to be beaten with a few stripes. And I don't want to be beaten at all. <laughs> Is that right? No, no, we don't want no beating at all. You know, I don't want to be beaten, especially by a demon. So I want to walk in love so I don't get a thinking. So I want to walk in divine health. That's the best way to go. And when you do God's way, uh, he, he does it His way, and then everything works good. But if you haven't seen that, that took Dave a year, over a year and a half to get well. Now, he had to stand. Well, I'm going to tell you, at a year, at a year when he looked awful, when his skin was terrible, when he was, uh, I mean, oh, he looked awful. He couldn't wear shoes, couldn't hardly wear clothes, couldn't take a shower. He, he stunk. I mean, he looked awful. And when he walked up here that Sunday and said, Pastor, it doesn't appear to be working. I said, Dave, repent. Tell God you're sorry. His Word never fails. I said, now you get back in His Word and you stand on that Word and where you were taking one dose of medicine out of the Word of God today, you take two or three. And I said, and you personalize it. You take these promises. For verily I say unto Dave Rosenfeld, that Dave Rosenfeld shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in Dave Rosenfeld's heart. But Dave shall believe that those things which Dave says shall come to pass, and Dave shall have whatsoever he says. What Dave says. I said, if you'll start personalizing the Word of God like that, I guarantee you'll get well. And he did. And he did. And today, he's totally well of an incurable, lifelong disease. And if you want to see his testimony, you can get that DVD back there and see Sickness and Satanic Oppression. You can see him giving his own testimony on the first hour of that four-hour teaching. Now then, God's Word works just like it's written. Now then, if you have real faith, and this is the thing, did you receive your salvation by doing deeds of the law or by faith? Okay, by faith. You can't be good enough to receive it by the law, can you? There ain't no way you can be good enough to do enough things to receive anything from God by works. You've got to do it by faith. Over and over, Paul told us this in the Word. You have to receive everything by faith. Well, this revelation faith that you must step over into before you can get healed, this revelation faith is learning these promises in God's Word, repenting of your sins, and after you've repented of every sin, make sure that when you repent and ask God to forgive you for whatever kind of sins you've committed, make sure it's a real deal that you really have forgiven the person. You know, that you didn't just say, well, okay, and so Cheryl done something terrible to me, you know, and so I won't talk to her fear for two years. And I say, okay, God, I'm going to forgive her. I'm going to forgive her. And then I walk into the grocery store one day and I look down at the far end. And I say, oh, there's that woman. Oh, I ain't going down there and talk to her. Did I forgive her? No. I didn't forgive her. I was just lip servicing this nonsense. I wasn't. If I really forgive her... I could walk in and say, Hi, Cheryl, I haven't seen you in two years. How are you doing, girl? And couldn't I? Sure. That's real forgiveness. And that's real faith. And when you walk in that God kind of love, 
you can walk in that real kind of faith. Because if you don't walk in that love, you cannot walk in that faith. But the revelation faith is the only kind of faith that works. And the revelation faith, this is just one promise of the many under the new covenant that you and I can stand on. Just one. This book is full of them. We're going to talk about a whole bunch more of them this afternoon. We're coming up in just a few minutes of time for a break. I just happened to look up there and see it's nearly 3 o'clock. We usually take a break at 3 for about 15 minutes so you can go to the bathroom and do everything you need to do. Walk around a few minutes and then we come back in about 15 minutes and go again and hit some more of these promises. But what I'm trying to emphasize to you today is the difference between sense, knowledge, faith, and revelation faith. People in the church are dying every day because they're acting on sense, knowledge, faith, and not revelation faith. I mean, you can have somebody, you can walk into church, and this is so awesome. I can walk into church, and if I see somebody that's sick, I mean, just here a while back, I was in a Baptist church on an evening service, and there was a lady standing beside me, and I said, ma'am, what's those things you got on your arm? Oh, she said, I have carpal tunnel. I said, well, how would you like to be healed? Well, she said, I'd love it. And I said, well, Jesus made you and me a promise. I said, in Matthew eighteen nineteen, Jesus said, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it shall be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. Did he make that statement? If Jesus made that statement and we're sons and daughters of God, then why in the world don't we use these kind of promises? Why was she sick? Why did she have this problem? Why had she not stood on one of these promises? Because she didn't know them. And if she had read them, probably she had read them. She was an older woman. I'm sure she'd been in church. So I'm sure in reading her Bible, and as a Baptist, most Baptists read the Bible. But when they read it, they don't believe it. So she had read that verse, I'm sure. But she didn't believe it. So I told her, I said, ma'am, if you will believe with me, and I can agree with you, I'll guarantee you Jesus will heal you. Did he say I have to believe? What if I don't believe? What if i got just a little bit of doubt that the Word will work? Will he answer a prayer if you doubt? Surely God wouldn't do that to us. Will he? Does he say he will? Where does he say that? James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. Jesus tells you in James 1, 6 and 7, when you ask for anything, you must ask in faith. Nothing wavering. Nothing. James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. When you ask, you must ask in faith, nothing wavering. He said, because if you waver, you are double-minded, unstable in all your ways, and let not that person think they shall receive anything from the Lord. So I told her, I said, I'll pray with you. Now then, me knowing a Baptist and how our doubt works, or I should say Christian, not just a Baptist Christian, a Christian, I also, in the back of my head, I said, Lord, I'm going to stand on 
John 14, 13, where you said, if I ask you anything, it shall be done. See, I've got my little double whammy there backed up. That way I don't have to depend on her faith. I can just depend on mine. So I reached over and grabbed a hold of her arms. I said, can I pray for you? She said, yes. I reached over. And they're singing. They're singing the service. I'm standing back here talking to her while they're singing. I reached over and grabbed her. I said, you devil of hell, come out of her in the name of Jesus. And then I said, now you're healed. I guarantee it in Jesus' name. I turned her loose. When we started to go home that night, she said, my arms didn't change. They're still hurting. Did she have any faith? No. I said, but I'm going to guarantee you, you're healed, woman. Why could I make that statement? Because what verse was I standing on? John 14, 13. How many people does that require? Only one and Jesus. That's all that one requires. Whatever I ask the Father in the name of Jesus, He will do it for me. I saw that woman again a few days later, and she was hysterical. She said, 2 o'clock in the morning, she woke up. She said, my arm started hurting extremely bad. I woke up in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden, the pain left in both of them. She said, I ain't had a pain since. What happened? The devil left her. The devil left her. He had to leave because I stood by faith. Now, when you and I say we're standing by faith, but yet it's sense knowledge faith. Okay, Thurman, you can pray for me. And I did. And after the service is over, you know what she should have been saying? Praise God, I'm healed. Somebody said, well, how's your arm feel? Oh, it hurts just like it always did. But the Word says I'm healed. So praise God, I know I'm delivered and healed. Somebody say, you know, you're kind of crazy. You know that? You say, oh, no, I've learned what real faith is. I'm standing on the Word of God. Boy, you're on safe ground when you do that, brother. You know that? But see, since I've learned that it, when you are dealing with someone that does not know these great promises, the safest thing you can do is to use your faith. If you know you've got this revelation faith, you know that you can stand on that revelation faith yourself, then you do it just between you and Jesus. He, he's made you some promises in His Word that will work just for you and Him. He covered every aspect of it. Didn't He die? Everyone. He knows what happens when we really walk in faith. And He will put you to the test to find out where your faith is. He will do this to you over and over. Somebody says, I can't believe God would put me to the test. Well, you haven't read the book from Genesis to Revelation because that's what He's been busy doing ever since He created man. He put the first man and woman in the garden. One woman, one man. He said, now they don't eat of that tree in the middle. He's putting you to the test to see if you're going to do it. And then that lovely woman he gave him. <laughs> she goes over there and the devil entices her and she eats the fruit. Then she comes and gives it to him and he eats it. And then when God shows up, he says, Adam, what have you done? Of course, Adam, he's a big boy, said, oh, God, I'm sorry, I messed up. Oh, no, he didn't either. He said, God, that woman you gave me, that woman you gave me. Now, see, he's putting the monkey on God and the woman, but he ain't going to take no responsibility. We have not changed much today, have we? We need to learn this, that, hey, when we make a mistake, don't point the finger at your wife. 
you know, don't point the finger at your children. Don't point the finger at your preacher or something like this. Say, God, I'm sorry, I messed up. I'm a big boy or a big girl. I repent and I'll get rid of my sin and I'll straighten my act up. I'll get over it and I'll start walking in obedience to your word. He said, oh, now we're getting somewhere. So once you repent and you take the blame, say, Lord, it wasn't nobody's fault but mine. Yeah, I mean, maybe the devil tried to entice me. Maybe somebody said something. But, Lord, the decision to get out of a faith walk was mine. And whose is it? It's yours. You know, we're going to hit one more Scripture, and then we're going to take this break. And I want you to turn to Romans 6. And I want you to see where the Lord has given you and me the choice. I want you to turn to Romans 6, and I want you to go to verse 16, actually verse 15, actually verse 14. We just got verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, this is if you're walking in love. You've got to walk in love to meet this criteria. Sin shall not have dominion over you. You have dominion over sin. Verse 15, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. We are not to sin at all. Verse 16, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourself servant to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin which leads unto death or of obedience which leads unto righteousness. Now, as a child of God, you have a choice every day. You're going to make one of those two. Either you're going to sin, and what are the consequences of sin? Death. Sickness, disease, and finally, death. But if you know the Word and read it and walk in obedience to the Word, it will lead you to a life of righteousness and health and prosperity and everything. God will meet every need you have. But who has that choice? You do. Which one are you going to make? The right one, I hope. But every day, we have, we're put to the test. Every day, aren't we, brother? Amen. Every one of us. I don't care who you are. Me, you, and every one of us are put to that test every day to make the right choice. Don't sin because it will bring forth death. It will whittle away at you. In other words, every time you sin, it's like a little demon comes in and cuts a little hack on your body somewhere. And every time you sin, you get another cut. And eventually, it will bring forth some kind of beginning of sickness and disease. And then if you let it go too far, it will bring forth an early death. And you'll die prematurely. But if you want to live to be an old, healthy person, you've got to do it God's way, and you've got to make the right choice every time when the enemy comes you make sure that you walk in the love walk. 1 Corinthians 13, walk in the God kind of love. When you walk in the God kind of love, you can walk in faith. Then you can speak to the mountain and it will obey. You speak to the milk and it will be good. Isn't that awesome? Many times I have produced a demonstration of God's Spirit just like that. I have seen God show up for me when I do something in faith. And I've seen things happen like that, and it just it blows most people away. 
even like Caitlin's miracle, that's not a minor, tiny miracle. That's a big one. That's a supernatural one. But there I was able to step into that and call that little girl back from the dead, call both those little girls back technically from the dead. And not only that, but to see all those other children. In fact, this gentleman right here, uh, he is a paramedic, and he was the one that picked up the little six-year-old boy in Fort Worth that his mother had sinned, and the boy got shot in the park. And his mother came to me, not his mother, but the little boy's mother, came to me and wanted me to pray. And I had no idea until he had listened to one of the teachings. He said, I was a paramedic that picked up that six-year-old boy in the park and took him to, to the Cook's Medical Center. And he came and told me the whole story. It's amazing how God was working from way back there, how he got them in record time from where they were to pick up a little boy to get him to the hospital in record time. I remember he told me that. And, of course, he had no idea, and I had no idea how God was moving and how he had orchestrated everything that although this mother had sinned, this little boy got shot in the park, and how the call was given, how they found him so quickly, got him to Cook's Medical Center so quickly, way beyond normal time. And then put me in the right place at the right time exactly to pray the prayer of faith for the little boy so our God could raise the little boy up supernaturally and heal him. But we serve an awesome Jesus, don't we, brother? He don't just use just one of us. He uses all of us. And I'm grateful when I learn these stories about others that have been used on the other side. Because remember, none of us are any more important than the other. God uses all of us if we'll just allow Him to use us mightily because this is all about Him and His kingdom. Now then, we're going to take a break and I'm going to tell you that normally I take up an offering, but I'm not going to do it today. I'm just going to say there's a box over here. If you want to give an offering for the ministry uh, at this time or when you leave, there's the box. All the material back there is free. We don't charge for nothing. You can take a sack and get as much as you want and everything. You take a 15-minute break. It's 3 o'clock. You take a 15 or 20-minute break, go to the bathroom, come back, and then we will start over and we will continue the rest of the afternoon. Praise the King. How can we miss a mighty God that loves us so much that He came and died on the cross for us and then He told us that He bore our sickness and He removed our disease. And then He says in... Second Peter chapter 1, because of all these great and precious promises and through faith in these great and precious promises, we can become partakers of the divine nature of God. Yes, hallelujah. Wow. I don't know about you, but I don't think in the divine nature of God there's any pain or sickness or weakness or nothing. Do you? That's right. I can be a partaker of that. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. So when there's a 15-knot wind blowing straight across the runway, no big deal. <laughs> oh, Ty's a new... He, yeah, yeah, he's a new pilot. He's just learning yesterday he was going to come over to minister to a, a boy with me. And he called me and said, Dermot, I just pulled out on the end of the runway and there's a 15-knot wind blowing right across the runway. I said, no problem. I said, just take off. And come over here, and just before you get here, I'll ask God to put this one. I said, it's blowing right across the runway over here too, but I'll ask Him to put it right down the runway for you just before you get here. And He will. I mean, you got that kind of faith. Just before He got there, I heard Him call in on the radio, and I said, Father, in Jesus' name, you said I could ask anything. So I should have moved that wind right around 
to the north and bring it right down that runway, and that big old tetrahedron just went. Some of you say, I don't believe that. It won't work for you, I guarantee you. <laughs> it takes faith. I'm going to tell you that's just like a man. I'm going to tell you a story about a man that used to run an orphan's home until he died over in England, and the orphan's home's still there. This man learned how to step into this faith. And he had 2,500 children that he fed every day. That's a bunch of kids. That many a time they'd come up to him and say, Sir, we've got 2,500 children sitting at the dinner table and don't have a single thing to feed them today. He said, Just a minute, I'll pray. And he'd go pray, and he said, I guarantee within a half hour there will be food here for all 2,500. And he said, It never failed. And one day he was crossing the North Atlantic. He was coming to a meeting in America to meet with somebody, and they ran into a tremendous fog. And the ship had to slow way down because it might hit an iceberg or whatever out there in the North Atlantic. And after about a day of this, he asked the captain, said, how long do you think this is going to stay? He said, well, we have no idea. He said, well, if we continue this pace, we're going to be way late, aren't we? He said, oh, yes. He said, we may be two or three days late getting in. He said, well, God don't ever send me anywhere in a place to be late. So he said, Let's pray. The captain said, well, you can come to my office and we'll pray in my office. So he went down and this man prayed and asked the Lord to take away the fog. And he stood on God's word. And the captain said, I'll pray. So he said, no, you don't know what faith is. I don't want you to pray. It's already done. I prayed. So he said, the captain walked outside, opened the door, and looked at a beautiful, clear sky without a fog nowhere. And he said, I need to know this Jesus. You're right. I don't know him. And that led that captain to Christ. Now see, when you know the King of Kings and you know His Word and you say, Lord, you made me a promise. It's done. And you're in the captain's quarter. He said, I'll pray. He said, no, you don't need to pray. I've already done the fog. has gone. That's faith, isn't it? And they walk outside and it's a clear blue sky. That's exactly what I did yesterday with that wind blowing out of the west. I knew he's not a real good crosswind pilot, yet he's still got very few hours. He's only got about 100 hours flying. So I said, Father, in the name of Jesus. As soon as I heard him call in on the radio, I said, Father, in Jesus' name, you said, Mark, you said in the, uh, John 14, 13, I could ask you, Father, in Jesus' name for anything and you will do it. So I said, Lord, I want to thank you in advance but I'm asking you to move that wind right around out of the north so Ty can land and have no problem with a straight downwind. Although it may be blowing 15 knots, it ain't going to affect him at all. And he landed, just greased it right on. Yeah, it was a beautiful landing. Thank you, Jesus. That's right. See, by faith. What can we do by faith? Wait, what did he say we could do by faith? All things? You really mean he said that? Unlimited. Don't you think it's time we, the church, start walking in that? I think it's time we start walking in it. It's such fun when you walk in faith. You get to see God raise the dead. You know, you get to see Him raise up little babies in hospitals. You know, you get to see Him do awesome things. The impossible. You know, the average person that are Christians. I mean, think. I guess I do have my mic on, don't I? Yeah. You think whenever 
they come in to tell me they've done a diagnosis now and they've checked with two MRIs and Caitlin's brain stem is severed. I mean, it's disconnected. Well, anybody in their right mind knows that a human being with a brain stem severed can't live. Is that right? Yeah, that's, that's amazing. They cannot live. But here they've had her breathing on a machine. A machine's been pumping her lungs. And they've done the second MRI, which confirmed again that this thing is disconnected. And so from day one, I said, hey, it's no problem. Jesus made me a promise. Jesus said in John fifteen seven, if his words remain in me and I remain in him, I can ask him for what, brother? I mean, I can ask him for what? Surely he didn't mean that, reckon? <laughs> you think he did? Don't you think it's time we start standing on these promises? So whatever, that's a pretty big whatever, isn't it? But when I got a grandbaby laying there, I got a pretty big whatever I need, right? Do we think he's big enough to meet that? I do. See, some people don't. Now, all those people that were there, Christians, when they started to unplug her that morning, I'd shared with every doctor there and every nurse, and they all said they were Christians. They said they went to church. They said they knew Jesus. But Dr. Davis, precious lady doctor as she was, a lung specialist, when she walked in, this is what she said to me. Mr. Scrivener, you are the only man or only person I've ever met in my life that refuses to accept reality. You know when we unplug your granddaughter, she's going to die. Now, where was she living? In faith? Where was she living? In the world. She had trained herself with her five physical senses. Great doctor. You know, I'm sure a great specialist. But she had not trained herself with the promises from the Word. See, she didn't know what faith was. She thought she did, but she didn't. So I made the statement. You know, I said, man, you've trained yourself with your five physical senses. But I don't live there. I live in a world of faith. A world of faith. A world of faith. Which is what world? The world of the Word of God. So now then, Jesus clearly said in John fifteen seven, you know, if I remain in Him and He remains in me, I can ask Him for anything. And He also said in Mark eleven twenty three, whatever I say with my mouth, if I believe with my heart, I can have it. So He said, I'm going to guarantee you on the Word of the Living God, when you all unplug her, she's not going to die. She's going to breathe over the machine on her own and she's going to start coughing. Now, what had I just said? What I wanted. I didn't want my little grandbaby to die, when, like they said, when they pulled the tubes. So I'm standing on two awesome promises in God's Word by faith, with no doubt in my heart, that John 15:7 and Mark 11:23 will work just exactly like our king said they would work. But I have to have how much doubt? How much? How hard is that? Especially when you got this lovely creature that walks up and taps you on the shoulder and says, but you know, maybe he's not going to do it for an old worthless critter like you. We know who that beast is, don't we, brother? He is our enemy. The devil, he's doing everything he can to get you to doubt the Word of God. And most of us believe that beast just like I did. I used to believe him over the Word of God every time. 
And I know every one of you have been there and done the same thing I've done. Well, I think it's time we stop believing that beast. I think it's time we start believing God's Word. Do you know His Word can't fail us, brother? It can't fail us. He can't lie, can He? No, God cannot lie to us. I can only imagine how it breaks God's heart when I ask that question. How many of you believe you're righteous? And I, I mean, you know, I didn't ask you to hold your hand up then, but that's good that you did. But, you know, when I ask that question, I've been to churches that would have 100 people or 150 people there and ask that question, and four or five people would hold up their hand, and then they would look around. You know, they, they, what's wrong with us? You know, if I say, are you righteous? Boy, we ought to say, yes, praise God, I'm righteous. They said, well, man, you're not very humble. Oh, yeah, I just believe the Word. It ain't what I've done, but it's by faith in the Holy One of Israel. Jesus said, I've been made righteous by what He did. Now, if the king said, I am the righteousness of God in Christ, and I say I'm not righteous, what do you think that just done to him? What? 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 I mean, I sent my son to die for you, to pay the price for you, and you don't think his blood's good enough to make you righteous? Ooh, that's what I say. Help us, Lord. I mean, I'm sure it would make Ty unhappy if I was to reach up and he made some statement to me and I just slapped him in the face. I'm sure he'd say, what is wrong with you? But I, that's exactly what I see when God says we're something and we turn around and say, no. It's just like we just slapped him in the face. He says, what? Are you calling me a liar? Are you calling me, God, a liar? I told you that by what I've done with my son on the cross, I have made you the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, you see yourself as the righteousness of God in Christ. I said, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's like when Peter, I mean, when Peter, you know, he walked up that morning. You remember that story, Scott? When he walked up and he says, uh, alms, alms, I need some money. I'm crippled, handicapped, and I can't walk. Could I have some money? Peter said, I ain't got no money. I got something a whole lot better than that. What I got in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. The guy looked up and said, what? Man, he reached out and gets him by the hand. He said, I said, get up. And he jerks that devil right out of him. They come back and said, what? what? How did you do this? He said, if you think it's by my righteousness that I'm doing this, let it be known it was done by faith in the name of Jesus. This man stands before you whole by faith in the name of Jesus. So when you repent of every one of your sins, and I pray the prayer of faith for you, if you'll be in agreement with me, I guarantee every one of you in here today that has a need from God, He'll meet it. You come up and ask me, oh, I've lost my job. I need a job. Would you please pray for me for a job? Sure. Well, I sure hope God will give me one. No, He ain't going to give you one. You're going to have to agree with me in prayer. Now, I'm going to praise the king. I'm going to ask him according to Matthew 18 19 to give you a beautiful, wonderful job. And I guarantee he's going to give you one. Then you meet him right there and start saying, Thank you, Jesus, for my beautiful job. I got one. Let me explain to you again what faith is like this. Here a few years ago, when I was still in the workforce, I was director of engineering for a large corporation. And they were bought out by another corporation, and that corporation decided to close the engineering division in six months. That meant I was going to have no job. They called us to the corporate offices in Washington, D.C., and told all of us engineers that in six months, in September, it was over. We didn't have a job. They didn't need us no more. Some of those guys went away and said, oh my, what am I going to do? 
You know, here I am, 50 years old or 55 years old. I'm too old to get a job somewhere else. What am I going to do? I went away praising the king. I said, one way said, Lord, thank you. I don't work for them anyway. I work for you. So, Lord, I thank you. So, I go home and I crawl up on top of the building where my office was. And I get up and look across at this big corporation that bought us. I looked around and I said, Lord, they got some pretty good sized buildings here. And they got a whole bunch of equipment here and everything. I think I'd just like to be the regional or the engineer here until I finish up my career. I'd, I'd like to work a few more years. But I'm tired of traveling. So, I said, Lord, I don't know who the engineer is over here that's watching over all this stuff for them. But I'm asking you to displace him and give him a better job. And then I'm asking you to put me in this. So I'm going to be the engineer. You said in Mark 11:23, whatever I say with my mouth, if I believe with my heart, I can have it. So Lord, thank you for my new engineering job over here. I'm going to be the head engineer here in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. So I go downstairs and I'm walking through the place. One of the guys says, well, when they close out the engineering division, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to be the head engineer across the street. Well, how do you know that? I said, because I asked God. But now, Thurman, you don't know that. I said, oh, yes, I do. I asked the king. The king said I could ask for anything, whatever I say with my mouth. If I believe my heart, I can have it. Did he say that? So, uh, three or four months goes by, and one of them said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to be the head engineer over there. Have you been over and talked to him yet? Nope, I don't need to talk to them. I talk to the king. I work for him. So, it comes down to the last week. My job terminates in one more week. And they kind of laughed at me. They said, what are you going to do now? I said, well, I think it's time for me to walk across the street and tell them I'm ready to go to work. <laughs> so I walked across the street and went around there, and I walked into the front office up there, and I said, who's the VP here? And they told me. I said, do you have a director here? And they said, we do. And I said, well, I need to talk to them. They said, well, they're both in uh, the VP's office upstairs right now. So I said, good. How do I get there? And they showed me, and I walked in up here, and I said, Hi, I'm Thurman Scrivener. I used to be the director of engineering over here, but my job closes out this week, so I thought I'd come over and tell you I'm available, ready to go to work for y'all. And the VP said, Boy, are you perfect. I said, What do you mean? He said, My head engineer walked in this morning and told me he's going to Florida in one week. And I've got to have a new engineer, and he's been here 10 years, and I thought, What in the world am I going to do? And then you walk in, he said, Boy, are you perfect in time. Who orchestrated all of that? God started doing that the minute I said that. I went back and talked to him after I went downstairs. And I said, tell me what happened. He said, well, about six months ago, my wife, which works for American Airlines, was given a new job down in Miami, Florida. Now, isn't that amazing? About six months ago, about the same time I said I'm going to have this job, the king displaced her, gave her a good job, moved her to Miami, Florida, and she bought a house down there. She's going to be permanent. Now then, uh, all this time, he's here and she's down there. You know, that's not a real good situation for a man and a wife. You know, you really kind of like to be together, not half a continent apart. And so, that's not the ideal situation. So, he was wanting to go down there anyway, but now then, we get a couple of weeks from this, and the head man that worked for the same company, he, was, he had worked for this guy before, and he called him and said, hey, he said, how would you like to come to Miami? I'm, deci I'm decided to not do outside maintenance. I'm going to do all my inside now, so I need a head engineer to watch over all these four facilities down here. How would you like to come from Dallas down here and be my head engineer? He said, I'd love it. My wife's already down there, and i got a house down there. He said, can you be here next week? He said, I'll go and tell my VP I'm going to leave in one week. I spent that last week with him, and then he left.
And that first night, I led the man to Jesus. He didn't know Jesus. That was my first goal was to lead that man to Jesus. I knew when I heard the way he talked and everything else, he didn't know the king. So I led him to Jesus. He saw a demonstration of the Spirit's power that night when I prayed. He saw some things happen, and he literally jumped up off his desk, and he said, i got to know this Jesus. How do I know him as my Lord and Savior? And I led the man to Jesus. It ain't hard to lead a man to Jesus when you're walking in a demonstration of the Spirit's power. When you walk in faith, people want what you've got. So, that's faith. Now then, that faith that gives me that job is the same kind of faith that will heal your body. It's the same kind of faith that will give you a job. Whatever it is, when you come to the king, he says, when you ask me, you must ask in faith, nothing wavering. Nothing. Now then, he made these awesome promises. I want you to see some of these promises. I want you to go to Second Peter. Second Peter. Simon Peter, an a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and of our Savior Jesus Christ. Through the righteousness of God. Are we righteous? Why are we righteous? Because He made us righteous. I didn't have a thing to do. All I had to do was believe in Jesus, right? And because of what He done, He made me the righteousness of God in Christ. Okay, let's look at it like this now. If He made you and me the righteousness of God in Christ, don't you think we ought to act like that? Don't you think we ought to act righteous? I mean, you know, if you are the righteousness of God in Christ... You wouldn't want to be caught lying to somebody, stealing from somebody, you know, cheating on your expense reports. I mean, that wouldn't bring glory and honor to God. That wouldn't make you look very righteous, would it? See, so if we are the righteousness of God in Christ, then why don't we act like the righteousness of God in Christ? If we're king's children, then why don't we act like king's children? Right? Let's walk holy in obedience to His Word. Let's be different wherever we work. Don't be the guy that hangs around the coffee pot more than anybody else. Don't be the one that does as little as you can and get by with. Be the best that they ever had. I mean, be the best. Don't just try to be lukewarm. I mean, be on fire. Be the best employee they ever had if you're working for somebody else. I mean, do whatever they tell you to do. Be willing to walk into God counter, but be the best that they ever had. You know, you take two young men, and I've had this experience a few times. Young men come in at the summer. One of the sons, maybe, or something that worked for, I mean, one of the men that worked for me, son come in or something, and he said, I need a job this summer, Mr. Scrivener. I said, what can you do? He said, well, I really don't have any experience. I can't do anything. I said, well, if I put you to doing some things, you believe you could learn. He said, well, I'm not sure, but I'll try. And then another one of the guy's sons comes in. I said, what can you do? He said, sir, I've had no training. But he said, you head me in the right direction, and I'll be the best employee this company ever had. Guess which one of them two boys I'm going to hire? Ain't no question. The one that knows that he's going to be the best employee this company ever had. I'm going to put him to work. See, now that's the way you and I should be as sons of God. 
because that's Colossians 3. Uh, the Lord told us clearly in Colossians 3.21, I believe it is. Colossians 3.21, I think. He says, whatever you do. I may be off on that, but it's Colossians 3.21, I think. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as unto the Lord and not unto man, because I, God, am going to be the one that's going to give you your final reward. 23. Colossians 3.23. Okay, thank you, brother. Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with what? All your heart. We as Christians shouldn't be slouches, should we? You should, we should be workers because we're doing it as unto the King, not unto man. We're not trying to be the goof-off. We're not trying to hide from the boss and stand around and talk. We're trying to get things done. We want somebody to say, man, if you want something done right, you get a hold of that boy right there. I mean, he, he, I don't know what it is about him, but man, he's a worker. And anything you tell him to do, he's ready to do it. He never grumbles and complains about nothing. I think one time a man was working here. I am director of engineering and I'm dressed just like I am right now, slacks, boots, and all this kind of stuff. And a compactor caught on fire. I mean, cardboard and junk inside of a compactor had food, acids, and all kinds of crud and junk had been mashed, liquid all down the bottom. But up in the top, it was on fire. One of the guys had a work uniform on. I told him, I said, that compactor's caught on fire. I said, I don't know, somebody must have thrown something, matches or a cigarette or something in it. I said, grab that hose and jump in there. We'll pull that ram back, crawl up in there and put that fire out. He said, ain't no way I'm going to crawl in that slop. He said, I ain't going to put that out. I just reached over and took the hose and walked right out in that thing and went up in there and I put the sucker out. When I got it put out, I'll come back out and I hose myself off. Pulled my boots off, hosed my socks and everything off, put my boots back on, handed him the hose and walked off and never said a word. Six months later, I told him, I said, i got something I want you to do. I told him what it was. He said, that's a dirty job. But he said, one thing I know I've learned about you, if I don't do it, you will. I said, son, that's the way I run my life. I'll never ask you to do anything I'm not willing to do. Never. But that's the way the king is. You put him first in everything you do. Whatever you do, you work it with all your heart. I don't care what you're going to do. You be the best at it you can be. You don't be a slouch at nothing. You be the best you can be as a Christian. Everywhere you go, you learn everything you can learn about anything. And use it for His glory. Simon Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to them, is talking to us, that have obtained this light, precious faith. See, we read that we don't get a hold of what this light, precious faith is. Light, precious faith. What did Peter do with that faith? What did he do to that man, that beggar? He jerked that devil plumb out of him, and he said, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man stands before you whole. What did the church tell him to do after that? Don't talk anymore in this name. So when you give somebody steps into faith, you have to be careful. Even the church will come against you. Because guess what? There's devils in the church. Anybody tells you in church, cool it, calm down a little bit, you know, you know, you don't have to worry about this stuff, you know, don't get so rough, you know, just kind of cool it. I think about the little girl that worked for us in the front office, Kathy. We led her to Jesus. 
led her into the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And this little gal, she went from living a worldly life to being saved and getting the baptism of the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues. And then she come to my Bible study class at church. And she's meeting the men and women, girls and boys down there. And she's talking to them in tongues. And they don't understand her. She wants them to see what she's got. She said, I had the most awesome experience. And it's Jesus. And you know, this, uh, some of the older folks would get around here talking in tongues. Now, Kathy, just settle down, girl. You're going to be okay. She comes to me and says, Thurman, what's wrong with these people? I said, they don't have what you got. They don't believe what you got is real. That's why they don't have it. I said, I got to you before you got to them. And so you receive so easy. She received this faith. And this little gal's on fire still today. I mean, it's so wonderful to walk in in the morning. And she jumps out of her chair and says, Mr. Scripture, have you got a minute? I just got to tell you the last three wonderful praise reports that come in. Oh, what a place to work. Where Jesus shows up and answers a prayer for Kathy or anybody. What a place to work, huh? Wow. Ty come in here, she says, wow, look at all the praise reports on the board up here. What a place to work where Jesus answers prayer. Isn't that awful? <laughs> That's fantastic. We love it. I guarantee we love to see the Lord do these things. Then he says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. How? Through the knowledge of God. How are you going to learn knowledge of God? How are you going to learn, how, how are you going to learn about Jesus? Oh, through the Word. That means you've got to study it. Right, young lady? Ooh, study it. Not read it. Study it. Only way you're going to learn about the knowledge of God is get in the Word and study the Word. When you start studying and meditating on the Word, He will reveal Himself to you in this Word. Now, if you don't get in it, you won't get it. I mean, you can't just read it. You've got to be serious with God. God says to them that diligently seek me. Then I will reveal myself to you. To all them that come to me must come to me in faith. And to them that diligently seek me, he will reveal himself to you. Now then, Hebrews eleven six is where he tells you that. Then he says, Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power has given unto us a few things. How many? Now, that couldn't mean what it says. He has given unto us what? So, what did when you become a child of God, what did you like? What did God not give you? He gave you everything. Here we're out here praying, oh God, please will you do this for me? He said, no, already done it. I used to pray, oh, God, please will you do this? And he said, no, no, no. I said, Lord, what do you mean no? He said, I already give it to you. If you read the Word, you find out you already got that. I don't have to give it to you. It's already there. You say, what, 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 Lord, what is this? According as His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. How did we get that? Through knowledge. How do you learn these things? Studying the Word. When you get into the Word and start studying the Word, you think, wow, what He's given me. Salvation belongs to the whole world. you know that? Jesus belongs to the whole world. Who could get saved? What have they got to do, brother? 
Just ask and believe, right? Do you know healing belongs to the whole world too? You've got to ask and believe. But you know what happens? The old devil. The old devil say, Oh, you unworthy sinner, you. You don't think God would do nothing good for an old unworthy sinner like you? And he gets through to us. You know, he'll go back and say, You remember when you were 15 years old? You may be 70 years old. He said, You remember when you were 15? You remember what you did? Or he might go back and say, You remember what you did when you were 38? You remember when you did this or you did that? And you say, Well, yeah, I did that. He said, Well, oh, you're an unworthy beast. You know, God, even God couldn't forgive an unworthy critter like you. I mean, after all, you've done such a bad thing. And we believe him. And he defeats us. Instead of jumping back and saying, Oh, but that guy died. That guy died. I'm now a new creature in Christ. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. You know, I'm a son of God. I'm a joint heir with the King. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Nothing's impossible with me because I belong to Jesus. And the devil said, well, I guess I better go down the street to somebody else. This kid knows too much. See, that's where you got to get. Because when the enemy comes against you, you've got to capture every thought. Oh, he'll make you think you're an unworthy feller. Oh, you're just an... And he beats up on women. Oh, does he beat up on women. When we were in uh, uh, Germany last year, I never saw so many beautiful women that thought they were ugly. That didn't love themselves. Well, but Mr. Scribner, if I just had a, a little tuck here on my chin or... My nose was a little different or a little how tummy tuck. Then maybe I could love myself. I said, hey, you're a beautiful woman. What's wrong with you? You're a daughter of the king. My wife was the one picked up on this. I'm trying to get these women healed. All these women are sick and afflicted. And all of a sudden, Cheryl says, do you love yourself? The woman says, no. She, I said, that's it. That's what's wrong with you. You don't love yourself. After that, everyone come up. I said, do you love yourself? But Cheryl's one picked up on it. And every one of them. You know that that's a commandment of God? The number one commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. If you don't love yourself, you are sinning against God. You're saying, God, I'm not worthy. And he says, how dare you? I made you. I mean, I knitted you together in your mother's womb. I made every fiber of your being. Now, beauty is only in the eye of the beholder. How dare you classify yourself against somebody else? You look exactly like I designed you. And that's exactly the way I wanted you. So you say, Lord, thank you. You walk up, look in the mirror, and you say, Lord, I don't care if anybody in the world thinks I'm beautiful. I know you do. So, Lord, I want to thank you that me and you are the only ones that can't. Is that right, young lady? Sure. Lord, thank you that I'm handsome because I'm your son. You made me like this, Lord. I don't care if nobody else likes me, but I do. Because you you obviously, since you knitted this thing together in my mother's womb, I love this creature that I live in. I love it. In Jesus' name. See? If God told me I've got to love myself if I want to walk in this power, then I guess I better love myself, right? Yeah. If I walk up and say, well, God, I don't know about this. You know, you could have made a little different here. You could have changed this here. Or you could have done this there. And he said, well, that's not the way I wanted you. 
You look exactly like you like because I made you like that. Now, you just start loving yourself. You praise me and thank me that I've given you this beautiful body to walk in while you're here. Instead of saying, oh, God, you know, if I'd have been different here or there, you know, if I, you know. But how many people grumble? You don't think about people. That's just like, I'm going to tell you. Here a while back, we was ministering to a girl that she went out and had a breast implant so she could have bigger breasts. And it created all kinds of problems. And then I thought about another girl I know that had huge breasts, a little tiny thing. But when I saw her the first time, I thought, man, she has got the biggest breast for a little bitty girl I've ever seen in my life. And she went out and I saw her one day and I, I, I looked at her and I said, what happened to you? She said, well, I didn't like the size of my breasts, so I went and had them cut down. Hey, you can't please these girls. One of them's got big ones, they want little ones. One of them's got little ones, they want big ones. Why can't you be happy with what God gives you? And both of those women are suffering tremendously now. You know what both of them tell me? If I had it to do over, you know what both of them said? Wouldn't have it done. Obviously, God liked them just like He made them, but they wasn't happy with them the way they were. So they went out and spent all these thousands of dollars, go through all this pain and suffering because they didn't love themselves. They wanted to be different. If God had wanted you different, He'd have made you different. You'd be happy with what you got. You know where I'm coming from? I mean, I can't believe it. You know, people we go in to have a nose tuck. You know, somebody's got a little curled up nose. If you've got a little curled up nose, say, praise God, Lord, that must be the way you wanted it. You know, I love my little turned up nose. Or whatever. Or, you know, God must have loved white hair because He put a whole lot of it on me starting at an early age. But He gave me solid black hair until I was about 20. And I love the black hair, but I love the silver hair. If He didn't give me no hair, then I would love the slick hair He gave me. You know? Praise God! I mean, like my guy I used to know up in Justin, he had a big sign in his uh, office because he was completely bald. He didn't have a hair on his head. He said, God made a few heads with hair on them and the others He made perfect. <laughs> so he's happy with his bald head, right? Hey, be happy with what you got. You know, because if you don't walk in love, guess what it'll do? It'll give place to the devil and the devil will come and put sickness and disease upon you. You've got to love yourself like God made you. You've got to realize that if He made you, He must like the way you look. Yeah. Just think. What would, what would the son... You said this girl was your wife, right? What would it be like if every girl in the world looked just like her? Hey, you wouldn't be able to tell which one's your wife, would you? Hey, you know, that wouldn't be no good at all. But God made billions of us and He never made not no two of us exactly the same. I mean, even, even twins... When you see a set of people that look exactly alike, they got different fingerprints, they got different eye prints, they're still nowhere close to the same. No two people are the same. And most of us are dramatically different than others. So, we are thankful for what we have. We praise God for who we are. We praise Him for what we have. And we walk in this. And He says that according as His divine power has given unto us all things, He's already given, once you become a child of God, everything that is necessary, all things that pertain unto life and godliness, 
has become yours, and you gain them through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. What kind of promises? They're not just promises, are they? Exceeding, who are they given to? The church. The believers in Jesus. He's given these to us so we can overcome the world. So we can not be normal like the world. That through these are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these, these great and precious promises, you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now think about these great and awesome promises. He has given us a book under the new covenant. He has given us a book full of new promises. And when we come and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, how many of our sins did He forgive? How many? All. So if you were under a curse before, if you know the truth, now you can claim the redemption from that curse and the curse is broken. Galatians 3, 13 and 14, if it says Christ has already redeemed you from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for you. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. That the blessings of Abraham might come to us the Gentiles that we might receive the promises of the Spirit by faith. There's that word faith again. How are you going to receive something by faith that you don't know? What are the blessings that was promised to Abraham? Did you know for years I didn't even know those? Had no idea what they were? Didn't know where to find them. Then one day, I was reading again in the book of Genesis, and I began to come down through the book of Genesis, and for about 60, I forget how many chapters, way into the book of Genesis, I had found 60, 70 80, 90 promises that was made to Abraham. And I thought, wow, these are awesome promises God made. And then one day I came to chapter 28 of the book of Deuteronomy and I found a summary of all of those promises in the first 14 verses of the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 1 through 14 says, if you will be obedient, Starts out, if you'll be obedient, all these blessings shall overtake you. They will come upon you. You don't have to worry about them. All you've got to do is be an obedient son of God, and these blessings, God will send them and they will overtake you. I like that, don't you? I really don't even have to pray for those. All I've got to do is be an obedient son of God and walk in obedience to His Word and walk in love. And He will let those promises come and overtake me. And all down through those first 14 verses, you'll see at the top it says if you obey. It says at the middle if you obey. It says at the bottom if you obey. All the blessings of Abraham will come upon you. And He says there He will bless you in everything you put your hands to. Everything you do will be blessed. Your food will be blessed. Your children will be blessed. You would best going in and coming out. You will not have to be, ever be concerned about being the buyer. You will be the lender. The money will overtake you, he says, if you'll only obey me and do what I say. And yet the church today, a large portion. I have never been in a church in my life, never been a member of a church that ever had a congregation that 100% of them even come close to tithing. Never. God calls you a thief. If you don't tithe, he calls you a thief. 
I have been in churches maybe 20 or 30 percent of the congregation tithe. And guess who is left in that church? That 20 or 30 percent. The rest of them are under a curse from God. And they wonder why all the bad things financially happens to them. And they will not believe. Some people, in fact, God sent me to a home. A man that was in business for himself. He belonged to a different kind of church. The Lord sent me over there and told me to go over and tell him that he needs to start tithing. He had a big business. He had several uh, crews work for him. And I went over there to see him. And I sat down with him and his wife and I said, are you all tithing? And she said, well, Thurman, it's obvious you haven't read the New Testament. I said, what makes you say that? She said, the New Testament does not say we have to tithe. I said, ma'am, is Matthew in the New Testament? She said, well, yes. Okay. Let me turn to Matthew chapter 23. I haven't talked about this in a long time, but the Lord just stuck that one to me right then. Listen to what he says here. Matthew 23, 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithes of your mint and your anise and your coming, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done, and not to leave the other undone. What did he say tithe off of? Everything. Matthew 23, 23. Somebody said, well, Malachi 3, I, I roll it, but that's in the Old Testament. Hey, that's good in the Old Testament. still good in the New Testament. God said, if you don't tithe, you're a stealer. You rob me. And he said, I will never bless you financially. In fact, I will curse everything you do because you are a robber and a thief. And let me ask you a question. If you had somebody, in fact, I'll tell you, right here in this building we we're in right now, in the last year, they until just a few months ago, we paid them a thousand dollars a month for the use of this building. Just a short while ago, Kathy came to me and said, "Thurman, we are a lot better shaped than we thought, and from this day forth until further notice, you can use the building, air conditioning and everything, with no charge." I said, "Fantastic!" I said, "What happened?" She said, we were just barely squeaking by. We could not understand why we were just barely squeaking by. And we finally caught one of our managers here. And in the last year, he had stolen or embezzled over $100,000 from this company. Don't you think they give him a raise? What do you think they did to the guy? Oh, you think you'd fire a guy if he stole 100000 of you in one year? <laughs> you forgive him, but you fire him, right? <laughs> you don't keep him here. You don't keep a thief here. No. And immediately things started changing. And the resources and the things started coming back up so quickly. She said, it's amazing what he was stealing for us and we didn't know it. Yeah, you forgive him, but you fire him. Now then, if you're a thief, and if you're not tithing, God calls you a thief. He's not going to give you an increase in pay because if you're a thief. So, if you want to be blessed, you've got to do it His way. He's the one that made these statements, not me. God is the one that says, did you know that if you, 
Did you know that is the only place in God's Word where He says, I will curse you with a curse? That is the only double whammy curse in the entire Word of God, and that's if you don't tithe. So wherever you go to church, if you don't tithe, you need to repent and tell God you're sorry and need to start giving Him your 10%. If you do not, you're going to have a hard time getting healed. Some of you may not get healed unless you do that. I know one girl one time that came to me she was having trouble getting healed, could not get healed. I just, I just couldn't figure it out. I said, man, you're going to just have to ask God. I've done everything I know to do. I just don't know where to go. I've done everything I know to do. And so I said, but you seek Him. He'll tell you. And so she started seeking the Lord, and He told her the reason she was not healed is because she had stole $20 from a company she worked for 20 years ago and until she repented of that and paid that back. With interest, He was not going to heal her. So that humiliated her. She said, Lord, you mean I've got to go back to that company? I got that $20 from 20 years ago and make amends? He said, yes. And He said, I want you to pay it back with compound interest. So she repented and went back to the company and gave them the money and told them what she'd done. And she was instantly healed when she did that. Isn't that amazing what holds back your healing sometimes? See, when you're not getting healed, there is a reason. There's something wrong. Don't steal anything. You know, God says he, don't, he hates a thief. And so if you're financially stealing from Him, don't do it. Now then, if you are a son or a daughter of God, He has given you these great and wonderful and precious promises that by these you can become partakers of the divine nature of God. I don't believe any child of God should be sick or beat upon by the devil. Do you? So how do we get through it? How do we get over this? Number one, you repent of your sins and even your sin of unbelief. Now, see, this is a sin that most of us don't think is a sin, but nearly every one of us live in the sin of unbelief and doubt. Nearly every one of us live in unbelief and doubt. We don't walk in faith. I mean, I didn't walk in faith for years. didn't know what it was. thought I had it, but I didn't. It was sense knowledge faith, and it never worked. When you go back to the Old Testament, you find all the children of Israel, as they saw His mighty promises, they saw His miracles. They saw as they walked through the Red Sea. They saw all the plagues and everything. They saw the river turn to blood. They saw everything. But when they came to the promised land, He said, now let's go in and possess it. They said, we can't do that. <clears throat> it would have been better if we'd have died in the wilderness. It made God so mad that He told me, He said, because of your unbelief, you will go into the wilderness and every one of you will die in the wilderness. And he told us in the Old Testament and then again told us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and I think in the book of Hebrews 3, he says, because of their unbelief, not one single one of those that didn't believe, not one of them entered into his rest. Not one. All of them died in the wilderness without going into his rest. What time? Oh, well, yeah. There was two. You're right. There was two. Joshua and Caleb. They were the only two that believed. Now, of course, here's the thing about us. 
as Christians, when we get to be 50 years old, we think we're over the hill. I'm, I'm serious. You know, most people, you get to be 50, especially if you've got a 10-year-old kid. I remember when my daughter, of course, my wife and I waited way late in life to have our children. I was 37 when Amanda was born. And when she gets to be in about the fifth grade, you know, this, that's uh, 10 years later, I'm 47. You know, and so the little girls are talking about their daddies. And one of them talks about her daddy, he's 26. And she said, Amanda, how old is your daddy? And she said, well, he's 47. 47? Your daddy is 47? He's old. She come home from school that afternoon, walked in, log face. I said, what's wrong with you, honey? She come over and crawled up my lap and she said, Daddy, I wish you wasn't so old. <laughs> I said, what brought this old? Well, Daddy, me and my friend were talking today and their daddies are 26, 27, 28. And when I told them you were 47... They said, wow, have you got an old daddy? I said, let me ask you a question, honey. I wonder if how many of those daddies read a story to their little daughters every night, hold them in his arms, lay down beside them, and go to sleep with them, and does all the things that I do with you. I wonder how many of those daddies do that like I do. Boy, she snuggled up, put her arm around my neck. She said, daddy, I'm glad you're my daddy. Now, see, when she was 10 years old and I'm 47, she thought I was ancient. She had no idea what her daddy could do at 47. But, you know, it makes no difference. 47, 57, 67, it makes no difference. You know, I still love doing everything I did, you know, when I was 37. You know, I, you know, I'm not weak. You know, I'm strong because of the king. You know, I think about the other day how that I've learned by knowledge and by this power that's available. I go out to take a flight the other day to go to minister to a man. I got a twin engine airplane in a hangar that normally I can never pull out by myself. But the other day I said, Lord, I got to go minister to this man. I put the tow bar on that thing. I said, Lord, send me an angel. I said, Angel, you help me give this airplane a push. And I pulled that tow bar, and I pulled that big monster right out of that hangar, right out there on the taxiway, all by myself with an angel. Now, see, I've learned things that I didn't know when I was 37. I can do things today I couldn't do. But it makes no difference what I need to do, what I want to do. I can do it. I still love doing all kinds of things. You know, I love working. I love flying. Now that I'm getting back in flying, I love it more and more. You know, I mean, I just love to go flying. You know, I love to get out there in that airplane and go places. And it don't make it whether I'm 67, 68, or 77, or whatever. I'm going to be flying those things around, going and praying for people and, and praying for the sick and, and, he, and getting people saved, healed, and delivered. And when I'm 120 years old, somebody says, I don't believe I can do that. You're right. You can't do it. 
You're not walking in faith. Now then, by faith, how do we do everything as children of God? By faith. What is faith? What is taking these mighty promises of God, standing on these mighty promises, praying and asking for God to do something, and then turn around and say, well, I've got an appointment with the doctor next Thursday. If it don't happen by Thursday, well, then I, I believe maybe I've got it. What's your problem? You were dealing with sense, knowledge, faith. It never works. It never works. Real faith is when you believe it's done. Give you, let me give you one more example of Mark 11.24 of what real faith is. Turn to Mark 11.24 and read that mighty promise of Mark 11.24. I want you to look at this promise. God made this promise to you. Mark 11.24. This is almost more than the average human being can stomach You can't stomach this unless you're walking in the Spirit. Walking in the flesh, you will never be able to act on this verse. Mark 11, 24 says, Whatever you desire when you pray, believe you have received it, and it shall be yours. Is that what the king said to him? That's what he said, isn't it? Why as Christians do we never believe and stand on these mighty promises? Because we're walking in sense, knowledge, faith. When my granddaughter, after she had been out of the hospital for ten months, the little flipper valve in her throat that moves back and forth to separate it so the fluid and the solids go down the stomach instead of into the lung, that little valve didn't work. From the day we left the hospital, it didn't work. I stood on that promise right there, Mark 11:24, and asked the Father in Jesus' name to fix that valve. And I thank Him for fixing it, but for every two months, for ten months, it didn't work. Now, what did they do? Whatever I desire. Whatever I desire. What can I ask for? Whatever I desire. Now, let me tell you, if you're a Christian led by the Spirit, you'll never desire anything that's outside of God's will. You'll never desire anything outside of God's will, as long as you're led by the Spirit. If you're led by the flesh... They say, oh, God, I could take that and I could get a new car. Oh, I just want a, don't want a normal car. I want a $120,000 one. No, 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 that's, not being, that, that's, that's uh, not being led by the Spirit. That's being led by the flesh. You know, your flesh wants a $120,000 car. Your flesh wants a, a half a million dollar house. You know, your flesh wants all these things. You can get by on a whole lot less. You know, maybe your budget you know, is uh, $50,000 a year, you don't want to go out and buy a house that costs you 500000 if you got a $50,000 a year job. You can't pay the taxes on the beast, number one. So that's not exactly the spirit-led. That's flesh-led. But this verse says, Whatever you desire, when you pray, believe you have received it, and it shall be yours. Well, I stood on that promise. And I prayed over my little granddaughter's vow, and I thanked him for fixing it, and then I just... Praise him all next two months, and we go to the doctor two months later, and it didn't work. Well, I come back home, and I said, Lord, if I missed it somewhere, I repent, 
and I'm standing on Mark 11:24. I believe that valve's working. I want to thank you for fixing that valve, and it's done in Jesus' name. So for the next two months, I'd praise Him and thank Him. And two months later, we go back in, and it don't work. After five times of doing this, the doctor said, I'm sorry, but that valve ain't never going to work. I told him, I said, I do not receive that curse in the name of Jesus. See, he's going totally by what he sees. He's not going by that promise. Now, if I hadn't missed it somewhere in that promise, that promise would have worked for me way back yonder. But I obviously missed it. And so for the next two weeks, when you say, I've read the Word of God three times. Well, let me tell you, I bet I read that verse. There ain't no telling how many times I read that verse and quoted that verse in the next two weeks. Maybe a few thousand, I don't know, but a bunch. Whatever you desire, when you pray, believe you have received it, and it shall be yours. Is that what he said? There's something wrong with this, then, if it ain't working for me, right? Yeah, there's something wrong. Is it with God? No, it ain't never with the king. So where's the problem? That only is one place left. Right here. I said, Lord, I think I'm walking in love. I think I'm doing everything right. But somewhere this vow is not working. This verse is not working for me. And so I read that verse over and over and over and over and over and over. And one day, I mean, about two weeks later, it finally hit me. Whatever you desire when you pray. Not two months from now when you take her back to the doctor. Whatever you desire when you pray, believe you have received it, and it shall be yours. I said, Lord, I see it. I missed it. I was not doing it according to your words. I was doing it according to my way, and it didn't work. I repent and ask you to forgive me. Now, Lord, I'm going to pray the prayer again, and I'm going to believe it. I said, Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to fix Caitlin's valve in her throat. I said, Lord, thank you. It's done. Now then, is that faith? Okay, if it's done, what am I going to do next? i got to feed her. I walk over to her house, and I tell her, Daddy, I said, Toby, God's waiting on you and me. He said, what do you mean? I said, we've got to feed her. He said, Thurman, we just got back from the doctor two weeks ago, and the valve didn't work. I said, I know it didn't work. It didn't work earlier this morning. But right now, it's working. He said, how do you know that? I said, the Word says it is. Did the Word say that? Is this going to put you to the test? The doctor said, and he proved it, ten months, five tests, that it don't work. And it didn't work two weeks ago. He done the test two weeks ago, and it didn't work. I think I'm going to take this promise and make that valve work. Well, it hadn't for ten months. But I've done it my way instead of God's way. I prayed and then waited for two months. And it never worked. But this time I repented for my sins of unbelief. And I prayed one more time. And I said, Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you for fixing that valve. It's done and it can't fail because you made me a promise. And when I walked over and said, Toby, feed her. He said, Thurman. I said, no, 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 no. That valve works. He said, Thurman, two weeks ago we checked that. The doctor did and it didn't work. I said, I know it didn't work. It didn't work earlier this morning. But since I prayed the prayer, it is working. It can't fail. He said, well, what do you tell me I need to do? I said, we need to feed her. He said, Thurman, I can't. It'll kill her. I said, no, Toby. I said, the doctor told you she'd never live. He said, well, yeah. I said, did she live? He said, yes. I said, the doctor said she'd never walk. I said, is she running and playing? Yes. I said, the doctor said she'd have scars all over her face. Does she have one? He said, no. 
I said, don't you think it's time that you start believing God? Okay, what do I have to do? I said, you got anything for it to eat? He said, well, I've got some applesauce and a little bottle of juice. I said, get it. Set it on the table. So he did. I called her Caitlin. I said, Caitlin, honey, come in here and jump up in this chair and eat this applesauce for granddaddy. She come running out of the bedroom, jumped up in there, reached up and got that spoon and started putting it in. And she ate that whole bowl of applesauce, drank about half a little bottle of juice, and jumped down and run back in the bedroom. Never coughed, gagged, or nothing. Just perfect. And she's been eating perfect ever since. That's been five years ago. And she eats anything she wants. Does God's Word work? It works when you make it work. Now, I've I've had grandmothers, when they hear me tell that story, they come up and say, I thought I had faith. I said, there ain't no way I could have done what you've done there. There ain't no way I could have done it. I said, ma'am, that's what's wrong with us today. We do not believe these magnificent promises of God. He made us the promises. But we go by sense knowledge. We go by the knowledge the doctor says. If you feed her anything, it will run into her lungs and kill her. We don't believe these promises when God makes them. You know how difficult it was? You know how the devil was working on me that day? Young lady... If that had been your granddaughter, I hate to put you on the spot like this, but if that had been your granddaughter, would you have been a little anxious? You'd have been a lot anxious. And I can't help but tell you, I was there on edge myself. That devil was attacking my mind. You fool. You're going to kill her. I said, no, the Word cannot fail me. Can the Word fail you? He can't lie, can he, brother? So if I stand on His Word with no doubt in my heart, what does God have to do? If I have no doubt in my heart and I stand on that promise and I pray, according to Mark eleven twenty four, can God lie to me? No, He cannot. Just like I told Toby, I said, I guarantee you her vow's working right now because the Word says it is. And if you will feed her and agree with me, I guarantee she'll be able to eat and drink from this day forward with no problem. And man, she's been eating and drinking. In fact, that was two weeks into the, after the test. And for the next six weeks, we fed her normal. Everything worked perfect. We throwed away all that stuff where we fed her in the tummy with that liquid pump. And six weeks later, we took her back to the doctor and went in there. And that doctor pulled her up on Chester and he said, Hey, I never believed it. I would have never believed this in my life. That vow's working perfect this morning. He said, You can start feeding her. I said, We started feeding her six weeks ago. That's why it worked. And the doctor looked at you and said, You are the absolute most crazy fool I have ever seen in my life. I said, No, I am a man of faith. That's why that little girl's alive today. Because of the faith of people that believe the Word of God. And it's a shame there's not many of us there. You know that? Don't y'all think it? The promises are there. I took these promises and I mulled over these promises and I looked at them and thought about this for years thinking, God, You made me, the church, these wonderful promises. Now, You told me to walk in love too. You told me in Galatians 5, 6 that if I don't walk in love, my faith won't work. So see, i got to make sure I walk in the God kind of love. Now see, that's where we get in trouble. We don't walk in the God kind of love. We get out of love. And then we try to stand on one of these and it don't work. 
and somebody dies. And you think, well, Thurman said this, but it don't work. It works when you do it like he says. I have proven beyond a shadow of a doubt with Kelly and Caitlin, just those two little girls, the Word of God works. Those are awesome testimonies. You know that, son? But we serve an awesome God, don't we? He ain't some fly-by-night cowboy, is he? No, sir. He's a King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods. You know, and when we stand on His Word, He is a God that can't lie to you. He is a God that made you these promises. And in, when you get out of sense, knowledge, faith, and step into real faith, He will show up for you every time because it's by faith that we receive these things. That's the only way to get it. And that's why we fail so miserably so much. It's because God said it and we don't believe it. If He said, come to me and I'll deliver you, He will never turn you down. Joel 2.32, He said, anybody, anybody that comes to me for deliverance, I will in no wise cast you out. I will deliver you. If you've got a problem with drugs, alcohol, sex, pornography, or anything, and you want to be free, if you believe God and you come to Him on behalf of His Word with no doubt in your heart, He will deliver you and He'll take that desire away from you and you don't ever have to be bound by that junk no more. You don't have to give away your week's work every week to smoke a pack of cigarettes or two packs of cigarettes a day so you can wind up at 40 years old in the hospital with lung cancer. So you can pay the doctor 150 or 200000 to do surgery on you. Maybe that you work all your life, save all your life, and then turn around and give it to the doctor's back so you can want a little bit better quality life. All you have to do is walk, walk with God from day one, and He's given you everything you need to walk in life and godliness and health. You don't have to worry about nothing. It's all yours. All you got to do. Hey, you can, you can, if you walk in obedience, walk in faith, you can walk your entire life and not even be sick. That word right there set me free. Sozo. Until I learned that word 20-something years ago, I had a lot of sickness and disease. Somebody said, I don't know what the word sozo means. Well, it means those five things. Saved, healed, made whole, delivered, and preserved. It's in the Greek New Testament 120 times in 103 different verses. And it's translated those five ways. I found it one other place in another translation translated health, but that means the same thing. But that word, the night I learned that, I had read every one of those 120 verses. Now, I diligently sought God, and He was there with me watching over my shoulder. That night, I asked Him a question. I said, Lord, if this word means what it says, and I not only was saved on the cross 2,000 years ago, I was healed on the cross 2,000 years ago. I said, if that was true, then why? Have I been sick so many times since I accepted you as my Savior when I was 11? And he spoke to me in a voice I could hear. He said, Son, you have never received me as your healer by faith in my word. I said, Lord, I have to do everything by faith? He said, Without faith, it is impossible to please me. And that's written in the Word. But I heard him say it that night. I said, Lord... Today I am receiving you as my healer. And from this day forth, I will never be sick again. I will watch my confession. I will say the right things. I will do the right things. I'm going to walk into God kind of love. And if you'll help me, I'm going to walk in it 24-7 if that's possible. 
but I'm going to do everything I can to walk in your commandments and keep them and to walk in faith. And that was 20-something years ago I made that statement to God and I've not had one single sick day since. Now then, is He a respecter of persons? Nope. If you receive Him as your healer by faith in His Word, guess what He'll do for you? The same thing. And if you're walking in love and walk in faith, learning His Word, all these mighty things He's done for me, He'll do for you. He loves you exactly the same He does me. Now then, Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank You and praise You for another beautiful day. We have time to sit here and study Your Word. And Lord, I ask You to... I rebuke the devil and command him not to steal a single one of these words out of nobody's mind or heart as they leave this place today. I ask You, Father, in Jesus' name, Your Holy Spirit, to lock every word into every person's heart and their mind so that they'll be able to hide these words in there and keep them so they will not sin against you so they can walk in divine health. And if those that are sick or has a need, that their needs may be met as we pray for them today. Because you've given us the promises to meet every need that anybody in this place could possibly need today in Jesus' name. Now, Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now then, if you need any of the media back there, you can get yourself.